For my ally is the Force. And a powerful ally it is. Life creates it. Makes it grow. Its energy surrounds us and binds us. Luminous beings are we, not this crude matter. You must feel the force around you. Here, between you, me, the tree, the rock, everywhere. I am a Jedi, like my father before me. Don't know the power of the dark side. If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. I got a bad feeling about this. Welcome to episode 211 of Blue Harvest. I'm your host, Halls Burkhardt, and uh, Will's not here this week, as we have discussed. Uh, he's on his second vacation, so he should be back next week. So we've got an, a guest this week, and it's a guest I'm very excited to talk to. If you're a uh, Blue Harvest Patreon, you'll know him as the Dave Filoni of the Blue Harvest Story <laughs> Group. Um, he is the DM, or the GM, Game Master of Blue Harvest Adventures. Uh, he's also on the Robbo Report on Steel Saunders Patreon show, an excellent Patreon bonus show, worth the price of a mission, I say. And he's the host and producer of HG101's top 47,858 games of all time. It's our buddy Robbo, or Rob, or Lawyer Rob, whatever you want to call him. He's a man of many <laughs> names. Xerxes. R Robbo will do for now. Yeah, thank you. Glad to be back. <clears throat> Thanks for uh, helping me out this week, buddy. Oh, my pleasure. I am not a fan of doing the solo ones. It's amazing how easy it is to start rambling in those situations, right? Like at first you're like, I don't have anything to say. And then the next thing you know, you've been talking about like, you know, varying qualities of aluminum foil <laughs> or some really abstract concept for 10 minutes. I've had this idea of like, okay, one of these days I'm going to have to do one of these and I am not going to have anything to talk about. So I'm just going to start scrolling through my search history on my phone. And talking about the weird Wikipedia articles I was reading as I was going to bed, or whatever it may be. <laughs> Have that's, you guys ever heard that's of? Not a bad idea. Shadows fall. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, like, one of my first jobs out of college was like a kind of like sit at a desk and stare at a computer in an office type of thing, where mm -hmm. nobody could really tell what I was doing as long as it was just text. Right. And so I had this like uh, desktop like widget type thing that would just. Uh, scrape Wikipedia for articles and it just put it out in a text format that looked like work. And so I read all kinds of like, I read like 
probably half of Wikipedia <laughs> one year, like <laughs> just like because it was so much more interesting than the job. Dude, uh, my first job through high school and college was tech support for an ISP, like a mm. local dial-up ISP in Columbus, Mississippi, who had maybe 150 customers. So <laughs> sometimes, you know, I would get calls from eight in the morning till eight at night while I worked. Sometimes I wouldn't get a call all day. Sometimes like, and they actually ended up making me, me do computer repair because it was like one of those little strip mall shops. You could bring in your PC to get fucking viruses cleaned off of it and stuff. Um, yeah. So they had moved me over to that, but dude, the amount of weird shit I would just read online, like, and this was before the age of smartphones. So like it was, it was a preview of what my life would become. Like, oh, I wonder uh, if they ever made a sequel to the Christmas story. Let me look that up and just reading about weird shit all day. Yeah. Like I, it's, that's kind of in, in a weird way, that period of my life is sort of when that was kind of like the birth of my, my game podcast in a sense, because I had, um, nothing but time to look up weird stuff. And that's how I found the hardcore gaming one-on-one website was about that time. But also like, I would just like learn about all kinds of weird, you know, games. And then I'd go home and try to find them and play them. And, uh, you know, that's, that's exactly what, I mean, sounds exactly like my experience down to even downloading emulators on my work computer and trying ooh. out weird NES and SNES games that I'd never played before with a mouse and keyboard, <laughs> which is, we all know as the most the premium best way, way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Like I remember playing through the fan translation of final fantasy five at work. That's Ooh, where wow. I beat that. Um, I played that game golden sun, which you guys actually covered on your podcast. Yeah. Pretty recently. Yeah. Real, pretty recently. I got to say, guys, if you enjoy video games and you haven't checked out our buddy Robbo's uh, video game podcast, you got to check it out. I would recommend looking through the episodes and finding a game you really like or or know fairly well and tuning in to listen to them. Shit on it. It's fun, though. <laughs> and if, if, if you don't feel like doing that, I recommend the Space Hulk episode. So funny. That's one of my favorites. That's a very recent one. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, that was, it was just the right mix of like, we actually ended up really liking the game, but I was, because uh, it's like a, it's a Warhammer game. Right. Like the, like the little, like little space Marine alien type soldiers and like pewter figurines. And then you see guys at like the weird store in the mall that you never go to and always walk past and wonder like, what's up with all like the, it looks like they've got a train set, but there's no trains. Oh, you I know, mean, that's what it is. You know? I, at least down here, any good comic book store you go to most of the time will have like a, a, a decimated city diorama chalking, you know, like chunked in the middle of it. And there'll be dudes sitting there like duking it out in Warhammer or Warhammer 40 K. It's kind of like I I feel a little bit bad about teasing them about it because like it's not intrinsically more geeky than Star Wars and like I played Star Wars RPGs. You know? Oh well, dude, I, I look. I respect the game. I think the miniatures look so cool. I've in my time even bought a couple just because I thought they looked cool and wanted to paint them. 
but man, that game seems complicated. And you know, they have like a a Star Wars equivalent now called Star Wars Legion. Oh yeah, that's right. And I I want to get it, but dude, I don't know. Like, okay, so here's a little plug for. Uh, the Blue Harvest Patreon page. We put up a new episode of Masters of Harvest Kasi this mm. week, and we're talking about the Star Wars strategy game Rebellion. Mm. And dude, like I realized very quickly that my time to sit down and learn a game that complicated has long since passed. Yeah, I feel like I'm kind of in that space too. Like I have trouble enough keeping the the old D6 games rules relatively close like at hand like I, I I'm always forgetting something I, sh- I shouldn't say it but like it seems like just there's not that many rules but there's just enough that it's you know I mean the game is designed to like you can kind of like do you know you can use whatever rules you want and if you don't feel like calculating fall damage based on like the right. number of meters fall, like you don't have to like but you know I feel stuff, like yeah. any good any good rule system for like a tabletop RPG and any good game master for a tabletop RPG is always keeping in mind, like the rules are there to help figure out situations, but the main objective is just to have fun. So yeah, like, yeah. and I've played some D and D games with some like rule ball breakers and it's not fun. It, it becomes homework at that point. You know what I'm saying? Fantasy themed homework. Yeah, like I kind of like a little inside baseball here, but when I do Blue Harvest Adventures, like because it's also on top of being a game, it's also got to be like a listenable show. So like you really got to be careful about getting to like there was one episode where you guys like spent the whole time like fighting like five dudes like mm-hmm. in in the desert. And it was just kind of like it was fun for you guys, I think. But when I was listening back to him, like this is just a bunch of like if it's like if all these actions happened on screen in a movie, it would be over in, in a few seconds. Right. But in a game, because you got to take all their combat turns and like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And like, how far away am I? And then, okay, he's been wounded twice. And then and it just, it just ends up dragging on forever. And it just, it doesn't have as much uh, entertainment value to the listener, I think. So like, there's also that, like, <laughs> so it gets extra streamlined, but Hey, you know what? Uh, I feel like there's something missing from uh, the, that that should have been cut out of this show, and that, that's the business. Can't forget oh. the business. No, dude, I got too excited. I got too excited to talk to you, buddy. And I, <laughs> I, this happens all the time. You're right. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com. Follow uh-huh. us on Instagram, Blue uh, Twitter, and Twitch at Blue Harvest Pod. You can email us or send us voicemails at blueharvestpodcast at gmail.com. And we got a Patreon page where... You can hear Blue Harvest Adventures like we've been talking about. Um, that's with me and Robbo and Jesse and Will and Colleen. And uh, it's a lot of fun. I enjoy yeah. recording it so much. Um, <clears throat> so far, I got to say, like, I never had a long-running Star Wars campaign or D&D campaign as a kid. It would always be like, play a couple of games and then don't play for a while and then start up a new game and play for, you know what I mean? So thus far it's been my longest running sort of like tabletop RPG experience and I'm loving it. Yeah, it is. I don't think I've ever done uh, like a real campaign that lasted. I did. I had very 
very few outlets for the RPG gaming stuff when I was a kid. So yeah, like I didn't, I just didn't have any friends who did it really. Um, not, not in any like meaningful way. So, so yeah, like, yeah. I have this funny story about when I was a teenager and this was before I could drive. It was right when like vampire, the masquerade was sort of really big at comic book stores. And yeah. they had a spinoff game called Werewolf Apocalypse, maybe? I can't remember. <laughs> but it, instead of being a vampire, you were a werewolf. And, dude, I had the source books. I, I would, like, get even the adventure modules and stuff. Uh, and never played. And then one day, I was buying a book at the comic book store. And a dude asked me, hey, we LARP. Um, we LARP. Were a werewolf and vampire at the park uh, every other Saturday, you should come by and play. I didn't know what LARPing meant. <laughs> uh -oh. So I was like, heck yeah, I'm so ready. And he was like, cool, well, roll up a character and uh, just come ready to, to throw down. And so my mom drops me, well, doesn't successfully drop me off. We pull up to the park at Lake Lowndes in Columbus, Mississippi, and there's a bunch of kids in trench coats, and there's kids with like fangs, and they're running around, and they're chasing each other, and they're pretending to be vampires and werewolves, and it all dawned on me, like what was going on, and I was like, I want to go home. I can't oh, do this. wow. I, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to pretend to be a werewolf. Yeah, it's, again, it's one of those situations where it's like, is the stuff I'm interested in that much cooler? No, not really. Absolutely not. <laughs> but because I guarantee you, if I pulled up and there were people dressed up as stormtroopers and and rebel fighters and Jedi and stuff, that'd probably be what I did today. Like I'd still be doing it. <laughs> so no, it is absolutely Gosh. not even all that different. I appreciate the passion, but seeing it, I was like, I don't think this is my crowd. I don't think this is my game. Oh man, have you seen? Home. Um, that uh, they made a TV show out of uh, the things we do in the shadows, mm -hmm. right? Or what we do in the shadows. No, you know, the, I want to see They're like it. Taika Waititi movie, right? Yeah. Yeah, so the, the American TV version, <laughs> it, it, it's like set in Staten Island with like an entirely different cast. Um, so like Staten Island vampires, I guess, must be like the lamest ones. But there's a lot of, uh, a lot of jokes at the LARPers' expense there. That's where they find a lot of their virgins. Um, I gotcha. Yeah, it feels like kind of a cheap shot, but... Uh, <laughs> But there, there's a twist in it. But yeah, it's it's pretty good. It's pretty funny. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Um, so do you want to go over some Star Wars news and happenings? There's not yeah. a ton. Um, well, first off, Robert, what do you think about... I always like hearing sort of your take on breaking Star Wars stuff because I never know which way it's going to go. Sometimes something <laughs> will come out and I'll be like, Robbo is going to hate that. And then I'll, I'll hear you and you'll I'll be... Pleasantly, not necessarily pleasantly surprised, but I'll be all right on. He liked that. And other times, like I said, it's a it's crapshoot. What do you think about the Sith Trooper? Uh, I mean, I don't really have strong opinions about it. Like, I I feel like the red thing has kind of been done now. Right. And I kind of wish they would have picked like a different color scheme. But then I also understand like there's not too many colors that pop that would get attention and be like marketable that aren't like red or white or black. 
So like they can't do like a Sith trooper and he's like lime green or teal or something, even though that would, you know, like it just wouldn't work. Right. So, no, I, I, no, you're probably right about that. Especially if it was like that, uh, holiday special Boba Fett, like light blue. Woo. Yeah. It's like, there's, you know, you're, I mean, again, <laughs> in another context is bright red, any better of a, a, uh, a color than bright white <laughs> when it comes to like, we're going to dress our soldiers up. And for battle, right, in this like incredibly bright uh, uniform, right. So it's like you know, it's so it does what it, it's supposed to do. It looks cool. I like kind of like the added like details to it. Um, as far as like what I think it is, um, I mean, I think it's it, it's pretty well established now that it, they're not like if if they're not like a like a like a secret like zombie force of stormtroopers that guard like Palpatine's tomb or anything. I don't think, right. Um, like we've got like Jason Ward has already said before this was officially like announced this character or this this trooper type. Like he had already said that they answer to like Kylo Ren and the Knights of Ren is what he'd heard. And then that seems borne out by the fact that like when you look at the accessories the toys come with, they're like one of their things is like it's just like that little like, you know, in the in the game in the RPG, it would be a like a light repeating or a medium repeating blaster or something. The right. thing that they start setting up when Finn and Poe are trying to escape. Right. The uh, the Star Destroyer and Force Awakens. It's basically that gun. So it's got like the same kind of like tripod type thing with like the same markings on it that I think uh, Dante DeMille pointed out on Twitter. And um, when I saw that, I was like, oh, that's they're clearly just like a first order thing. So then the question is like, well, what does the Sith part mean? And I've I've heard all kinds of theories about this. And I, I would go so far as to say, like, if they're like the other special stormtroopers we've had, they aren't going to get named in the movie. They're just, it's just like a title <laughs> for the toys. Yeah, I guess they, yeah, they don't really, they don't ever, ever in star Wars. It's not like in empire strikes back. Vader's like, Hey, go get me some snow troopers. Right. Or because they should, troopers. There shouldn't be a huge difference in training for like stormtroopers in the snow and stormtroopers anywhere else. It's like it doesn't I, I never like that. They're just stormtroopers and they've got different clothes when it's cold, just like regular soldiers do. <laughs> like they don't call like the rebel troopers and their parkas and stuff like, oh, those are snow rebel troopers. No, right. they're just regular rebel troopers and parkas. They're <laughs> they, they, you know, so it's like I always like they're the fetishization of like the different trooper types always strikes me as kind of silly. I've gotten some feedback from Pablo on this once maybe a year or two ago back when he still did this and I asked him about it because I'm like do they really like are those delineations canon or are they just how they do the toys and uh and he said well I guess they're not they he his I mean you know a lot of his answers are kind of like yes and no you know that kind of thing right but I think his saying is like, yeah, that's like it, maybe it's like a slang term used in in the universe, but it wouldn't necessarily be like a unique kind of thing. Um, like it's like the like the snowtroopers would probably be called like cold weather assault shock troops or something, and and yeah, so on. I guess the only one that would really make sense to me, having a different actual in universe like in the organization name would be something like uh, flame troopers. Because they do have a different purpose, right? Like, they're not just, right. you know, ground soldiers. They're up-close, personal, flame-throwing 
dick bags basically like yeah i was kind of freaked out like i don't like the, the if you want to talk about stormtrooper design i don't like i don't like the flame trooper design we saw in the mandalorian with like the weird like racing stripes on it yeah it's you like, know that's from battlefront the yeah newest. they you don't need to do what's in battlefront those no. games aren't really canon they're just kind of canon well the i i agree but i'm just saying that's where that design yeah, originates. I didn't like it in Battlefront either. I mean, it makes sense in the game because you want to be able to distinguish them at a distance. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. For gameplay reasons, it makes sense. But I wouldn't like want to be the Stormtroopers like, okay, you're going to have a backpack full of like a flammable compact gel of some kind that's going to be fed into your flamethrower. Everybody's going to know it's you with the mm -hmm. giant fuel pack on because you're going to have red racing stripes on your armor. So it's like, it's just like an invitation, like, hey, shoot my backpack, <laughs> like explode me. Right. Which is exactly what it's is in the video game. Right. Yeah. So, so like, it's like, I can see how, like, I mean, does it bug me that much at the end of the day? No, but I, your point oh, yeah, makes <laughs> absolute sense, you know, like, I mean, it's, the, it's there's nothing about stormtroopers really makes that much sense. It's just a matter of like, when are you testing suspension of disbelief or not? And it's going to, and that line is different for everybody. I'm sure most people really like the the different designs. Well, you know what I like? I like if, if we're really going to do our best to uh, do this whole everything is canon. Like if it's, if it's released under the Star Wars video game or the Star Wars banner, we want it all to link up as best as possible. I know it's impossible for everything to, you know, fully link up and there not be any cracks, but... I do like the attention to detail of like, well, if we're going to have flame troopers and we have this established design from the video game, why not just bring it into live action? You know? Yeah. I mean, but there's like, I guess my, my, my only quibble with that is that when you do that, you end up kind of making it all too uniform where, whereas like, it ends up being like a thing where it's like, well, if they've got a flamethrower, then they have to look like this. If they've got like, you know, if they're in the desert, for some reason, they've got to have these silly backpacks on. Right. Um, you know what I mean? Like, it just doesn't really, it ends up being this thing where it's like, in reality, like if this were, if you wanted to seem like the whole, I've been actually reading a lot of that, uh, that Ralph McQuarrie collection lately. I mean, there's a lot of information in there uh, in that book about like the design philosophy and how hard everybody was thinking about these things. And when they were designing them and uh, th like the original spirit of the thing was like, yes, the stormtroopers are all uniform, but like everything else in this world, there are like slight differences between all of them. And like it wasn't they didn't try too hard to make everything look exactly the same. For example, you ask any like 501st member about like a true sand trooper certified 501st armor set is slightly different because they use different armor in Tunisia. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Like they're not huge differences, minor differences, but, but like the idea that like everything is a little bit different because of course, like different runs of armor that were put out of different factories in different parts of the world. If you look at like world war two surplus stuff, like you can, like you can see like, this is this kind of bayonet and it was manufactured in like six different factories right around the country. And each one has its own like slight differences than the other ones, because as long as they were up to specifications, they were fine. Um, and that's kind of, I, I always like when there's like a little bit of wiggle room in there for like, well, yeah, like for example, like in the empire, like in, uh, I don't like the idea that the empire is like 
all their dudes are all officers are white because like I want them to be like space racist, not regular racist. You right. know, right. Like I'd, I'd like to think that if you've got like squid men and yak faces and walrus men and stuff, you'd be racist against them. Not the person who's like, he's human, but his skin's slightly different. Well, you know, you that know was I mean? actually like, a way like that idea I feel like was pretty well conveyed in the EU. Like the, the empire was definitely like xenophobic. Is that the right yeah. term? Yeah, that's the right term. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. where they like it was like pretty much expressly s- stated a few times, if I'm not mistaken, that like, no, they're the Thrawn was an exception, you know, like he right. wasn't the norm. Like it, it was sort of like a human dominant type thing, um, and which is why, like, they used Wookiees as slaves and stuff like that. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, so, like, when they did, when they went back and did Rogue One, I was kind of hoping they'd throw in, like, a couple, like, black guys or Asian guys or, or um, like, they put some, uh, I think, uh, women into Solo. I think they kind of, in Solo, it's there, it's more diverse, but they were so concerned, I guess, about making it match up to A New Hope that in Rogue One they didn't do that. And I always felt like that was a good opportunity to just, like, throw a couple in there. Because, like, the interesting thing is that a lot of the extras in the Stormtrooper suits in, uh, in Tunisia were black. They, they were locals. They were right. dark, very dark skinned. So like you could always just say like, Oh yeah, that's what they, you know, they were all, uh, different. And then I, I would explain it. Like if I had to come up with an explanation for like why you see mo- like just nothing but white male officers is like, well, maybe like that legion of the Imperial Navy or whatever recruited, uh, it's, it's people from like a specific sector of the galaxy. They just was like very, very like, space nordic or something and right. or had like or had very like strong cultural uh prejudices against like m- like women participating in military service or something and then and then it's like a, a regional thing or like for example darth vader's like hit the officer who speaks to him on the on the tanta v4 right has an american accent like a very obvious dubbed over american accent like holding mm-hmm. her is dangerous right <laughs> yep I, I always like to think that like while uh, the Death Star, like the muckety mucks, like the people that that Krennic hates so much, right? They're like the good, you know, the the old boys club. But like Darth Vader doesn't give a shit about any of that stuff. Like he'll take whatever, like the best officers you can find, like as long as he doesn't have to choke them out. You know, if they if they last, they they can stay. It doesn't matter where they came from, so they can be like not like the upper crust type people, because he's he's more he's more, uh, you know practical minded i guess but you have a star wars beautiful mind like you have a focus and attention to certain issues of star wars that like when you start talking about something like that i just sit there and i'm like i'll be damned that's pretty good i've never thought about that but that that is an attention to detail right there it's all headcanon stuff and that's why i like that's why i like doing the the blue harvest adventures the rpg stuff because i get to just work that in wherever I need it to. And it usually doesn't come up and become relevant, but it's there if like something shows up. So for example, like there's a character you guys are going to run into later who, who is, uh, like there, there's some xenophobic elements to him. I gotcha. That, you know what I mean? Like, so like it's dealt, like I deal in, and he's drawn from like a, a, a new canon source, but kind of given some kind of, I really enjoy doing that kind of thing. And I 
almost spend too much time on that sort of detail when I'm coming up with the adventures because it's like, it's weird. Like as a game master, you kind of want to make it like real to you so that when somebody asks a question or tries to do something you didn't think of, you've got like an idea of what would work. And that's right. almost always what happens because it's never, it's never what I think you guys are going to do. Um, you know what, what I found and, and we'll move on to the next point, but to your point, what I found with our group is our group is far less concerned with getting in combat situations than other groups I've played with. I've played like D and D with some friends here in Birmingham that like, that's what they want to do. They want to break out the swords, the staves, the magic spells and fight. Like, you, you know what I mean? They're ready to roll those dice and figure out like, so it's, it's interesting, like sort of the different play styles of a group you can get. Like, I don't mind combat in an RPG or a tabletop RPG, but it's really not even my favorite part. Yeah, it's, it's kind of hard. Like, I feel like from a, from a gameplay standpoint, it's like, you don't want the combat to, you always kind of want to like keep the players like abilities in mind and kind of make it so it's just challenging enough. And that's such a hard balance to strike. And it's, it's almost always either way too easy or way too hard. And, uh, it just, yeah, I get it. Like, also, I think that if the, if the players don't feel like they're really in, in the game, in the world, then they will kind of gravitate towards combat because that's like the most entertaining thing they can do. If they're bored with the situation, they'll always try to kill somebody, you know? Right. It, it's like or, or in, in our game, I think your character, Rand, the, the bounty hunter, is always trying to start fights and kind of failing because the other people around him are like, I don't want to don't. Yeah. Because do, we're going to get dragged into it. That's they're always yeah. like, don't don't do that, because then we all have to fight like just and it ends up being kind of like a funny. Uh, there's always these kind of like funny, like back and forth where it's like, OK, now I'm going to now we can now we can fight these people. Right. Yeah. OK. All right. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. I got like this negotiation in, I think in about three episodes, I think it's coming up in episode 18. There's a character that Robbo introduces you guys that I wish was Canon in star Wars. <laughs> and, yeah. and I think he even says it in the episode. What's funny about it is Robbo would probably hate this character if it was actually in star Wars. But I was smitten from the beginning. Once I realized sort of the uh, the gimmick behind the character, all in. <laughs> yeah, it you know that it, it gives you kind of a respect for the people who who write this stuff and come up with this stuff because they don't really know what's going to fly really until it, it gets out there. Like nobody probably working on helicopter sabers was like thinking like. Uh, people are, are going to hate this or like, right. people are definitely going to love this. They're probably all like, I don't know what people are going to think about this. Like maybe they'll be okay with it. Like maybe they won't. And you just kind of try it and you find out and like, you know, they never did it again. Right. So nope. and we have not seen a damn helicopter lightsaber ever since. And like, I am extremely patient and understanding with star Wars. I give star Wars a lot of leeway because I don't know. That's just how I am. I really enjoy it. I'm honestly like that with a lot of different franchises that I'm invested in. When everybody hated the end of Mass Effect 3, I was like, eh, it's not that bad. You know, like, yeah. 
If I'm I, usually, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, if I get truly invested in something, it's kind of hard to pull me out. And it will happen. And like, I'll be honest, helicopter lightsabers was pushing that line for me. Yeah, I mean, the great thing about the cartoons is that although they are canon, it's like you're free to just like kind of take them with some grain of salt. Like you, we all know that nobody moves like that in the real world. Right. Right. Like if it were filmed with real actors, they wouldn't be like like bobbing back and forth so often because you don't have to worry about, um, you know, like the pixel lock effect of like a static image. Right. Where it's just like just their heads moving and their bodies completely still. It just looks unnatural. So they always have to be moving back and forth. And, you know, like we all like, you know, there are concessions that have to be made to the format. And some of those are just like, yeah. I mean, the funniest thing is like as from a game master's perspective, like the R2 like rocket booster thing is like the ultimate game master like cheat. Right. Because you, yep. you write yourself into or your characters get into a situation where you've got a droid who can't possibly traverse this room. But you need him on the other side because, well, I don't know. In Attack of the Clones, like if R2 would have just stayed home, I don't think it would have made any difference. But you know what I mean? Like in, in if you need that care, that droid on the other side, it's like you got to think like, well, how do we do this? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, this one has rocket boosters. <laughs> like yeah, just, I mean, that's exactly what it is. And then poor Pablo or Leland Chi or somebody has to come up with an explanation. Like George Lucas just throws it on the table. And they got to be like, well, shit, why didn't he do that in all the other movies? Although, you know, in it was originally going to be in Phantom Menace. In the scene where they're all getting back onto the Queen ship to go back to Naboo to fight against the Separatists or the Trade Federation, uh, R2 was going to fall off the side of like the runway and then like rocket boost back up and get on the runway. So they were going to, that wasn't a solution to a problem then. That was just like, let, let's have, let's just establish that he can do this. Or like, just as a gag. I think that sounds like a gag. I right? think it was meant to be almost sort of like a background gag that was going on. Um, I, I'll have to look up some more uh, sort of like reference. I've never material. heard about that. Yeah, yeah that's really sure, interesting. I'm pretty sure that was the case. It was in that scene and he was going to fall off like the runway and rocket boost back up onto it. I hope I'm not making that up or that's you know, not something I dreamed or something. It sounds, it sounds plot. Like if you are like, think about it. If you're the person who is trying to film a like fake robot that sometimes it's just a man in a little can and other times it's like a kind of crappy remote control car. Like probably all you think about is how much you wish that robot were more mobile. <laughs> Like all you think of is like, why do we have to put like these plywood down on the sand and then like angle the camera so you can't see it? Right. It's like, why can't this thing just go over sand? Like, just why can't it? I wish he could just fly. Damn it! Like, why can't he just fly? It's funny. I was um, I'm actually just finishing up uh, uh, some deep dive legends material. So uh, I was re uh, reading the Hand of Thrawn duology. Okay, which is that's like sort of like the second Zahn. Um, yeah, yeah, that's Zahn's like return in like the late 90s, mm -hmm. like I think 98. And he he gets to go back. And his whole point was that he's like, I'll do it as long as I can make sure that Luke Skywalker and Mara Jade end up married. And basically the whole book, two book series which really just should have been one book. And even that wouldn't have been that great. And I love Tim Zahn, but man, those are 
those are stinkers, man. Those are not good. But um, like they're on this jungle cave mountainous planet, right? Luke and Mara. Right. And Luke has R2 with them and R2 has got to stay with them or else it's not really Luke Skywalker's adventure. Like you got to have R2 tagging along. And you realize in this one, it's just nonstop descriptions of like Luke or Mara levitating R2 with the force to get him from place to place. Because <laughs> it's everything they do is like climbing or caves or something. It's like very like it's I don't know why Zahn is like this, but he has this very mechanical idea of the force in every book he writes. If he writes like a force thing, it's it's very much like, no, this is how the force is. It's a tool and you would use it this way. So like in in Thrawn, the one with the Thrawn book where it's like Thrawn and in in Anakin Skywalker team up. Right. What's that one called? Um. It was the one before the one that just came out. Was it? Yeah. Treasons so is the new one, right? Is that right? Yeah. There's uh, Thrawn. Is it like Alliance? Or I think so. Yeah. Which is a weird title. But in that one, like he has like, well, we need to like trick people into thinking that we've got a third person with us. So Thrawn is like, Master Anakin, can you animate a corpse to make it look like it's walking by using your force powers? And so they animate a dead body it's to make weekend it look at like Bernie's walking around weekend at Bernie's and like constantly coming up with solutions like this. And you're in it's, it breaks the star Wars rule of like the force can do all kinds of stuff, but it can never do something that would be laughable. Like you don't want it to be something that if you saw it on screen, you would laugh your ass off at how stupid it looks. So it's a lot of stuff like that, but they're constantly levitating R2 like every chapter that, that R2 is in, it's like that he talks about, like, if you didn't mention it, Tim, nobody would think about it. Yeah. Nobody would care. <clears throat> I don't know. Anyway. Uh, I, I do think yeah. it's cool that they've, you know, sort of integrated Timothy Zahn into the new can canon, though. Like, I think that was yeah. really cool of them. Oh, to... I, don't get me wrong. I love, like, his good books are some oh, of my favorites. Yeah. Like, I'm not dissing him. I just, like, he has, like... You know, he's got some his books are either really good or, or, or really kind of average. And there's always something to like in them. Like I still kind of like uh, in I finished the Hand of Thrawn series. So that tells you something. But it, it's really like you you if you've if you remember it, it's really like it feels like this is they're at like he didn't have any more ideas. He had one thing that he wanted to happen and everything else is just kind of a man. If you thought the last Jedi had a lot of people going off on plans that don't end up like going anywhere. Hand of Thrawn series has like three times as many where it's like, somebody's like, I'm going to go to here to get this thing. And then nothing ever comes of it. And I'm going to, and then this person's going to go here to get that thing and nothing ever happens. Like it, it just, it leaves it. <laughs> it's yeah. really frustrating. I don't, I know I've read that. I it's probably been since it first came out. You know, that a lot of those EU books I didn't end up revisiting. I read a lot of them. There's no way I read all of them. Um, but yeah, they're like, I don't think I've read anything from the new Jedi Order since it came out, yeah. you know? And that was one of those things where it was, uh, in my experience at least, early on using Amazon and like, impatiently checking the mail every day when one of those new books came out because I ordered it <laughs> off of Amazon like 
so excited to read those books and haven't gone back and revisited them. And I think that was honestly probably around the time that I fell off reading the EU. I probably read a couple of books from like the next couple of storylines, but as far as like making sure I, I was up to date and on top of it, I think that was about the end of it was the new Jedi order stuff. Yeah. Like I, so I haven't really, I've mentioned this very briefly once maybe, but like I'm kind of low key working on this sort of reader's guide spreadsheet with like reviews of any star Wars material that's been written down. And I've got a couple people like, so I've got Emily Lind is, is helping out and King Tom is helping out and we haven't really like put it out there yet. Cause it's, we're still kind of assembling, you know, content, but it's basically just like a Google spreadsheet and it just has any, like any star Wars story we've read from any era, any canonicity status, that is readable like if you've read it and you can remember something about it and you have an opinion you can like put down like you know like a rating of you know one out of four and and then like a 200 to 400 word review you know and just explaining who will like this and who might not like it right on. and and the idea of like having reviews that are not guide like not guided by like oh this is its effect on canon which is interesting but there's other people who do that it's more like if you really like star wars and you want a story about wedge or lando or aura singh or whoever your favorite character is like if one of us has read it then you know we'll tell you like you know you can find something that will that will appeal to you regardless of whether it's canon now or not just like a good story and i wonder whether people are actually interested in that i feel like there's i think a, that's interesting because there's so much stuff out there right there it's is like, like i mean you know the the current canon has only been rebooted since what, like 2013, 2014, whenever new, a new dawn, isn't a new dawn, like the first one. Oh man, I'm the wrong person to ask. I, I, they all blend together to me, but just, you know, it just in the time that they've reset, there's already so much. It's a lot of material out there. And then that's not even counting all the, like the, you know, like, the concept of if you wanted to sit down and read every entry on Wikipedia, whether it be legends or canon related, like the amount of stuff that's out there. And that's why, like, you know, Johnny calls me the Star Wars beard of knowledge. And that shit makes me uncomfortable because when if you really stacked it up, like that's like maybe I have 20 percent Star Wars knowledge if I'm lucky. Yeah, I would I would say, I'm, yeah, I'm probably even under that. So in terms of like just the stories I know about and I never could bring myself to care too much about whether something is canon or not, because like, frankly, like a lot of stuff that's canon now, isn't that great? Like some of it's the best we've ever gotten and others of it is like as, you know, is kind of meh. And uh, it's like I don't have time for the, the, the crappy stuff, but I'll read a good story about. Like what I love most is when I read something that is takes a character I don't care about and really makes them interesting. Like, although I didn't like the Thrawn Alliances book, the Padme section of that story, who I was never really interested in as a character, I thought really like I was surprised that Tim Zahn, of all people, kind of really brought her to life for me um, is like, you know, how she solves problems, how she thinks about the world and like that I love. And so that's the kind of thing I wanted to do with the spreadsheet. Just like, if you just like, you've got an itch 
like here's how you can scratch it cool well um after we record i have to tell you something a little project i'm working on i want i've been running it by a couple of people to see what they think of it but it's not podcast related so no thank god yeah no. <laughs> i get, no. I get a podcast now oh no no and i think i mean this is something that I, i'm just wanting to see if they if people think it's a good idea even you know like mm. <laughs> something I've put a little work into. Um, but anyway, speaking of canon and interesting entries into canon, uh, they announced during Comic-Con last week, and I think this was on Friday. It was definitely after Will and I recorded last week. Uh, but they're releasing sort of a sequel trilogy prequel comic miniseries about Kylo Ren. Four-issue mm. miniseries uh, coming out in December. Uh, and it's written by Charles Charles Sewell. I believe that's how you say his he name. He did some of the Vader run, right? He did that. He did the Lando miniseries, I believe. I think Dude. he even did the... Um, uh, what was the other one? The Anakin and Obi-Wan miniseries mm. that came out. Um, so, yeah, he's he's had some experience in he's Star Wars. He's got some Wars. fans out there, yeah. Like, people yeah, that, are big fans of his. That And, and I, I would like to read it. It's just a matter of time and stuff. But his Vader run, like, it's one of the most... Because I feel like the Marvel... Like, you know, just from fan reaction and discussion on social media and between my friends and stuff... I could not tell you what's going on in the mainline Star Wars comic right now. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's hopeless. But that Vader, that last Vader run that Charles Sewell did, I know the basis of basics of it because everybody's talking about it. It seemed like it was really right. well received. And I, I feel like Afra is sim similar to that where like I, I constantly hear about stuff that's going on in Afra. But yeah. the mainline Star Wars story series, I don't hear people like or see people really discussing as much as the other stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like I said, like, you know, like there's some stuff that really stands out and there's some stuff that, that doesn't like, I personally don't like the Vader or the Afra stuff, but there's so many people who do that. There's no way it's not going to like stick around to people's minds. The other, I mean, the other cool thing is about the Afra thing in particular is it's like a completely unique character and the character as like speaks to a lot of women in the fan base, like in a big way. And that like, how can you do anything but applaud that? Yeah. I, you know, there's a couple characters that I feel like one day we're destined to see in live action, even if it's like a cameo appearance and just based off of their popularity. And I feel Ahsoka and Afra are those two. Afra. Yeah. Yeah. I think Afra even more so because it'd be a lot easier to costume yeah, that out absolutely. and like put her in the background of some like bar somewhere. Whereas with Ahsoka, it's like, you got to make that thing perfect. And then it's like, why waste that character on like a, like a cameo? Right. I no, like, I, you know, yeah. I, I don't know, you know, I, I, as popular as they both are, I don't know the likelihood of let's say a Ahsoka Disney plus miniseries or an Afra one. Um, I mean, I you could think, you, you could make a show out of either one. Like, I you would definitely like to see, could. I'm not a huge like Ahsoka fan, um, but I think that like the, the animation thing, it's like it'd be a shame not to let you know her creator kind of like finish up her story in that medium. Yeah, and, and I feel like I feel like that is a matter of when and not if. Like, I think that's just bound to happen. You don't leave 
you know, the story of Rebels, the ending of Rebels open the way you do without him intending to go back to it eventually. And I think it's just a matter of time of when they want him to do it and when he's got the idea for it. But uh, yeah, I think at the end of the day, like Ahsoka's story will be played out in a trilogy, essentially, you know, Clone Wars, Rebels, and then whatever the last thing is. Yeah, those two characters have crazy fans, and mm-hmm. like it, it's, it's. I really think that it would be silly not to use that in some way. Um, and the, like, it has nothing to do with what I want. It's just like, just like as a business decision. I feel like there's enough fans that that those characters must have something that would appeal to a broader audience. You know what I mean? Yeah, and well, and you know, even as soon as I said it, I was like, I don't know, because an Afra Disney Plus miniseries, like that, almost makes too much sense. You know, like it seems like one of those series that you could do um, and it would be perfectly suited for like live action miniseries. Yeah. Like the interesting thing about Afra as a character, what I would do if I were writing uh, like a, a RPG module themed around the Afra comics, which I haven't really read more than a few of them, but she's an archaeologist, right? Right. So, like, there's all kinds of stuff you could dig up about the world of Star Wars, like, that people would have questions about that would be interesting. And you could have her interacting with it, like, as as relics, as, uh, like, you could learn something about, I don't know, what's, like, one of the classic, like, Legends era type I mean, mega events of the like the great hyperspace war or something right. like that right you could have you could reintroduce that and do it as like somebody who's discovering some aspect of it i mean frankly like i'll i'll, I'll tell you like i like it's i don't know whether it's ever going to happen in blue harvest adventures but there's a very specific and weird uh idea i had that for like a an adventure that's basically my idea for like it would be my pitch for like a dr afra series of any kind and just just the idea of like exploring something that has to exist like logically, but we don't know anything about it. So like that's the kind of thing you can do with with that character. And that's why it's such a great and interesting character. I yeah. think. Yeah, I, I mean, I dig the character. I think the design is cool. I think it's you know, for a Star Wars comic, they can do some weird stuff. Like Steel always brings up the Mon Cal grievous Jedi thing. But to me, Afra, like design wise, just fits right in with Star Wars perfectly to me. Yeah, like that's that's what comics should be for. It's like it's trying to throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks and what doesn't. Right. It's the same thing with like the helicopter savers. Like you try it out. Eh, it didn't work. All right. Whatever. It's yeah. done. Moving on. If you want to be super serious, like it's all canon. Therefore, it almost be perfect. It's like you're never going to be happy. Now, Ever. that's that brings up a question with this Kylo Ren thing. What do you think about that? What do you think about? getting some Kylo Ren backstory. The writer has said like his internal sort of subtitle for the series is from Ben to Ren. That's some Michael Giacchino level uh, (laughs) punnery there. Um, Yeah. uh, You know, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of the Vader. Like I read the Vader series on people's recommendations and I was not like it's a very much like a 
exploring like the sad sack Vader, like, oh man, my life sucks. Everything's ruined. I'm just gonna be emo forever. It's the kind of like the Vader who like Palpatine is always punking on him, and you just wonder like, why doesn't this guy just kill this old like prune faced old man? Right. Like, why does he just do it now? Like, what does he have to live for? What does he want? <laughs> he just kill him. Well, like, just kill now, him and die. Wait like, a second. You know, that's that's that kind of thing, right? This so. isn't the same Vader. He didn't write this the Vader story that was like real fucked up and stupid over the last couple. Like the one that had like the lady that was a crazy fan of Vader. No, no, no. Okay. that one is that one is terrible for a completely different reason. Okay, I'm just yeah. making sure. No, I, I don't think he did that. No. Considering the people I know that really like the Charles Sewell Vader stuff, I knew like. Deep down, it couldn't be the same thing, but I was just checking. No, I don't think I don't think that would those. I don't think he would ever that would ever occur to him. That's a very, that's something that's not just like a bad story. It's like a a very mean spirited right. thing that seems focused on a certain segment of the fan base that I just don't feel like deserves that kind of treatment. But no, I agree. That's that's a totally neither here. Like it's not. I don't dislike the story because it's like objectionable in any way it's more like it's just that's not the kind of vader story i want to see like i don't i don't like the the exploring like vader's inner turmoil because i feel like the more you do that the more you kind of expose like the sort of kind of kind of the weak points in that story where it's like if if like why does vader obey palpatine at all if you make if you make him that cruel like where he's like hey i got you a new ship you, you like it's your dead wife. Remember the wife you murdered? I got you her ship. You can now you can <laughs> you like that? And I punked. <laughs> you know, it's just like what, what, what kind of Darth Vader would just immediately light up his saber and just skewer that dude, even if it killed him on the spot, right? Oh, like man. you know. But but that aside, like it has a lot of fans, and so I I don't know. Like I I know that he's a talented writer. So I've got high hopes. I don't buy the Marvel comics um, when they're new because it's kind of like my personal protesting. I don't like that they how they dealt with Chuck Wendig. I totally understand. And like I don't actually like Chuck Wendig's work or even him as a person. But <laughs> I don't I don't like the idea that you would fire somebody just because of stuff you already knew when you hired them. And you're like, I don't like his politics. It makes me uncomfortable. Therefore, fired. It's like, that's not fair or nice. And I feel like, you know, that I just can't give my money to that. But if there's like something really good, I'll, yeah, I'll buy it used on eBay. I just don't want the money. I just can't. I know. I get it. I, I just, personally, it, I just don't. Nobody else cares. Everybody else has forgotten. But like, I, no, I, I've known that about you. Like, I've, you know, I knew that was like sort of your stance on it. And I totally respect it. And to be honest, I haven't bought a new and it and and to be doubly honest, it's not because of any sort of like <laughs> feeling. It's just right. I, I I have been out of Star Wars comics for a little while. They put out a Boba Fett one shot, and I haven't even read it yet. Um, really, I do have the Marvel Unlimited. Is that what it's called? It's like their you know their monthly subscription on iPad or whatever. Oh yeah, right. Yeah. And they put stuff on there about six months after it's released. You know, I've been going back, and I've had it for about a year now. I've been going back and reading like old Chris Claremont X Men comics, and I read through Star Wars Legacy and uh, some of the older Dark Horse stuff. I read some of the Poe Dameron stuff, and but as far as going to a comic shop or or, or picking up a new 
Marvel Star Wars comic digitally in a long time. It's been forever. And honestly, it probably won't be until the Kylo Ren thing comes out because I'm legitimately interested in that backstory. I really got to know. Like the four issue thing kind of freaks me out because I'm like, what thing of substance can you do in four issues? The way comic books are written now, right? Right. Like in the 80s, comic books are like hyper compressed. And so four issues could like have like, you know, the life and death of Jean Grey, like all all in them. Right. You know, but nowadays, like they're very, very much like paced out like TV shows and like four comics is like an episode. Yeah. So I, I got, um, the first, they did like the X-Men relaunch this week with, uh, a pretty well regarded Marvel writer, Jonathan Hickman. And they brought Mm -hmm. it back with this series. Um, I think they're going to be like two concurrent running mini series until, October when all the main titles relaunch and I picked up the first issue this morning because you know I've been wanting to read some X-Men comics but it's one of those things where I haven't read it in so long like and there's so much of it right yeah and I just didn't know where to jump on and this seemed like a nice clean jumping on point and I spoke to King Tom because I knew he would read it and sort of got his opinion on it and picked it up and you're exactly right like it's a really good issue. I really enjoyed it, and it's got me excited to read new X-Men comics again for the first time in the longest time. But it it feels like the the first, uh, you know, 10 minutes of a, you know, like an AMC or, um, I don't know, like a, a network TV show before the commercial break, before the first commercial break. <laughs> It's it's yeah, set just, up. It's one hundred percent set up, but it's interesting. <clears throat> yeah, like I don't know, because we know. I mean, we there's like that hint, right? Like a few, uh, like it was a month or two ago, there was like some accidental leak on like Amazon Australia mm-hmm. where they like put out a description of a Kylo Ren book that, like, you can you can only like I don't think that would have happened unless there was something there that was too specifically written out right. to be a like place like a goofy placeholder text like if i were going to write like a fake placeholder text for something that wasn't meant for publication it would be very silly you know like i wouldn't i wouldn't write like such a serious thing so you know like the comic is probably going to be like an episode of that character's life and even the book won't be like the full no that's the thing like it's going to be interesting once the rise of skywalker comes out because It'll be interesting to see how they approach all the unanswered stuff because there's going to be plenty, you know. And my question is with like characters like Ray and and Finn and Poe and Kylo or whoever, will they be off limits for post episode 9 stories or will they allow them to do some stuff but not go too far and then if you put that kind of restriction on it anyway what's the point you know what i mean like i i yeah i i wonder the same thing i mean my if i were a betting man and i am deal me in but uh <laughs> no like i would say that they probably i don't think they're going to go as far as as people want them to because they're going to see how long they can put out these like kind of smaller scale things and still have, they've got this like, you know, gap experiment, like this release gap experiment coming up. Right. 
where it's like it's nothing like it used to be right like it used to be that long between movies period in the prequel era right you'd have to wait a long time yeah it's two years instead of three but still you know there's it's essentially the same gap as there has been between the saga films this time around there's just not a spin-off movie in between right so it's like you that's your chance to see how much will like what will fans pay for like mm. what will keep their interest and I think they're going to wait to do the big stuff as long as they possibly can. It's like what they're going to do. Yeah. You know, like, you know, the story with like shadows of the empire, right? You know, like what that was. Yeah. It was like a test run of getting the exactly. star Wars machine back up and running, getting the marketing machine up and running. So like, see what people like, and that's why it was such a, and it really, I mean, of course, wasn't that pivotal to the story at all, but it was meant to seem like that. And it did fill in a pretty big gap. And in a, in a way that like in a gap that had already been filled by like the Marvel comics and stuff. So like they didn't, you know, it was a basically a, a retcon, um, by the way, if people think that like they never did that, it's like, yeah, they did it all the time. Um, so yeah, like I feel like they're going to wait, like, but I don't, I'm okay with that because recently I finished the couple months ago, I finished the Phasma novel uh-huh. and it was one that I wasn't that interested to begin with. Uh, I like Phasma, but I'm not like, huge fan but i heard some you know like i heard some uh uh a few a few people say that they really liked that book and that i I might enjoy it so i checked it out and yeah it's like at first like i was kind of it's a very it is very much separated from the rest of the star wars world it takes place all on one planet it's Mm -hmm. like kind of your standard post-apocalyptic road trip right type of thing like you know like the not like you know, Cormac McCarthy's the road or anything like that, which, um, it's more like uh phasma meets mad at mad max in some way. Right. Yeah. It's like, you're going from place to place on like, you know, uh, it, it, we're trying to get to this place and we've got to cross these like post-apocalyptic, you know, tropes uh-huh. to get there. And, um, but the thing is, is that hasn't really been done in star Wars or if it has, I haven't seen it before. And, after like the first like third of the book where I felt like it was kind of like dragging a little bit. And then suddenly I was like, I actually really care about this. I really, you know, it was written by Delilah S Dawson, who I think is going to be doing the like black spire, uh, Mm -hmm. thing, which, which may be dealing with the, like one of the kind of side characters from the phasma story. And she also did, um, the Soka book, right? I, maybe she did. I don't know. I I haven't, she did to that one, but I really was impressed (laughs) with, uh, the qual it's like it is very like young adult like literature style um but i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing i think that works pretty well in star wars i do too i think it is a really strong sort of like uh lane for star wars for lack of a better term you right know? it's like it's it the interesting thing is it's like a little bit sexier than star wars usually is because oh, so you've got lost like kind stars. Of real- oh yeah lost stars is, is like a little bit horny i mm-hmm. would go it is whereas uh like um, yeah, Phasma is not quite as horny, but, uh, it does deal with some of that stuff. Like it's all about like the society Phasma came from, which was like a clan of sorts. And it's really, by the end of it, I, I didn't like the framing story so much where it's like about like a resistance officer gets captured, but she knows something about Phasma. And then one of Phasma's enemies within the first order is like interrogating her. It's like, it's not bad, but it doesn't really do it for me. But the core story that she's recounting is like after like the first, like I'd say like third of the book, which was, was good, but not great. And then like after that, it's like, it's actually one of my, I changed my opinion of it to be like one of my favorites. 
That's like awesome. I actually, yeah, I actually like uh, Bloodline was used to be my favorite. That's still my hand. favorite. And this one kind of replaced it in a way, even though it's like far less consequential. So I don't think it's so bad for them to do like small no. stories. And, you know, like I think after episode nine, the fact that we have 30 years between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens, that's a huge gap they can explore. There's also, you know, the year gap in between seven or eight and nine that they can explore if they want. But I'm with you. I don't think we will see much ancillary material set after episode nine, probably until the lead up to whenever they want to pick those characters back up, whether that be, you know, episode 10 or however they go about right. it. Like, I feel like they're going to leave that pretty off limits because it's one of those things. If everything's canon, you know, like, are you going to want to bring in, you know, a JJ Abrams type or somebody and be like, look, we want you to do episode 10, but you got to make sure to take yeah. into account 10 books and comic series or whatever that we've done since episode nine. If I were in charge, what I would do is I would just go for, I would go totally balls the wall. Like let's go nuts and then explain to people like from now on, there is no canon, and just be like you, everything could matter and does matter in a sense, but we're going to focus on telling the best stories we can. And if episode 10 later contradicts it a little bit, we're not going to, we're going to try not to do it. But if it happens, but you guys just minor contradictions will not be a problem for us. Yeah. So just keep that in mind. Like if you can handle that, like I think if they're just honest with 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 the fans and just say like we we want to tell really good stories, really interesting stories. We don't want to hold anything back. But like you know, if something's a dud, if it doesn't like you know excite people's interest, we may like kind of sort of downplay it. And if, if minor details don't end up syncing up perfectly with like a future movie, we'll just do the George Lucas thing and be like, well, have somebody else answer the question. <laughs> like, I'm going to I'm going to say like, you know, like I decided that Boba Fett is not a Mandalorian. Therefore, deal with it. Like, right. you know what I mean? Like it's Uncle George didn't care about that stuff at all. Mm -mm. He, he didn't dislike it. He's just like, I, you know, I'm just going to do he, he his his top priority was just getting the script done like it, he the least of his worries was whether it contradicted with some comic book from, you know, you know, issue three of tales of the Jedi or something like he didn't right. Couldn't could possibly care about that. Well, you brought up, um, shadows of the empire a couple of minutes ago, and we've been covering them on, uh, this show, the limited run games, star Wars, I, like yeah. retro releases they're doing. And so they, last month they put up, um, Star Wars for the NES and the Game Boy and Bounty Hunter for the PlayStation 4. And I was wondering how they were going to stagger out these releases because they're not cheap. And they put out three at a time on the first. Well, they announced this week. Next three are coming this Friday in two batches. Once again, uh, 10 a.m. Eastern Time and 6 p.m. Eastern Time on Friday. This will already be out by then, so... If you didn't get them now, they're probably gone. Are um, the last ones sold out, the last yes. batch? Oh, yes. wow, really? Yeah, I actually uh, ended up getting them, but I had to get my third one. Like, I think the Game Boy game I ended up getting in the second batch because by the time I had checked out the first two, it was sold out. Yeah. 
it's cool that they're doing it. I mean, limited run games is an amazingly cool idea. If you're, if you're not familiar with them, what they do, their kind of whole business model is to take stuff that couldn't possibly be profitable in like a broad release mm-hmm. and put out like deluxe or even just physical versions of, of stuff that would normally only be downloadable games. Right. Or they do like, you know, re-releases of like old games and like do them like in collector's editions. Which and, is what they're doing for the Star Wars stuff. Right. Those were all like very widely released, very popular games. You can find them everywhere. But to get like a collector's edition of it and like put it out again and the novelty of like, hey, I'm buying Shadows of the Empire again, but it's new and it's in purple. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Like I like that. Like, you know, they're the reason why you can get certain like classic indie games of recent years on like Switch in like a hard copy if you want. Yeah. And, and they – like for Vita fans, for PS Vita fans, like limited run games was a godsend because yeah, they're still putting out Vita games. And that <laughs> that console has been not, you know, greatly supported by Sony for a couple yeah. years now. In fact, they're gonna have to stop doing them because Sony's not gonna manufacture the cartridges, the little cards anymore. So mm. but like, you know, if you are a hardcore Vita fan, and I know some people, and I do think you know, the Vita is a neat system that just unfortunately is, yeah. didn't catch on. But like for a JRPG lover such as myself, like Vita is a almost a must have system. Or um, if you're a huge fan of like boob ninja high school games, oh, like they've got those in abundance. A bunch of them. <laughs> They're a bunch of them. Bouncing all over the place. <laughs> but yeah, like I think Limited Run is really cool and I was happy to see them get the Star Wars license. But, you know, if they slowed down the cadence of release, I wouldn't complain. Like, you know, it's not like I'm pre-ordering a game I've never played and then, you know, anxiously waiting for it to come in so I can get a crack at it. Like, this is, these are collector pieces more than actually, you know, meant to be played. I'm honestly kind of surprised the way they're releasing them the way they are. Because, like, for example, like the NES uh, Star Wars games. Mm Mm-mm. Um, like to put those out, like they were, they're perfectly acceptable games, right? But they're not like classics. And I don't think many people have like really strong memories about them or the Game Boy ones for that matter. But like, so I always thought like when I heard they were going to do this, I was like, oh, what they're going to do is they'll put out like a set. Like these are like the two JVC NES games. These are the two, Mm -hmm. you know, know, with package with the Game Boy games, you get them as a set for like $150 for collectors, but they're kind of releasing them like separately. Yeah, Which, and that's yeah. that's the interesting thing because, like you said, that to me the first the Star Wars JVC game, the only nostalgia I have for that game is the f- fact that it was the first Star Wars video game I ever played, mm. and I didn't even know it existed. I went in to rent a video game one weekend, and there's a Star Wars NES game. I've got an NES. I love Star Wars. This is going to be the best game ever. It's not. Yeah. I actually prefer the Namco version. <laughs> the Namco version. <laughs> <laughs> that's why i like it because it's weird yeah like but like shadows of the empire is a good candidate i think because it's not like a fantastic game but in the sense of like as like it's the best version of the shadows of the empire story as far as i'm concerned like yeah. it's it, it's better than the uh the novel or the comics and shadows of the empire is i feel like a game that a lot of people myself included have a lot of nostalgia for because it was a Nintendo 64 launch title or shortly within the launch window. Oh, that was that. I got it in 64. That was what I asked for that year for Christmas. Probably a little bit 
uh, too old to be like asking for Christmas presents, I guess. But um, I was like, uh, I was in middle school. I guess that's not too bad. But yeah, I was like, but it doesn't come with a, a pack in, right? So I was like, Mario 64 is awesome, but Star Wars. <laughs> so I was like, please just give me the Star Wars. Like, that's what we want. We want Star Wars. Like, and I was not disappointed. Like, no, me neither. Doing I have... that Hoth level that oh. was repeated forever in every Star Wars game after that, like, that was the best Hoth level ever. Well, you know, I didn't even think about it. They do sort of have like a Hoth level theme going on with these three releases because it's the two Empire Strikes Back games. And oh, yeah. I didn't even think about that because hmm. you couldn't really say there's a theme behind the first three besides, you know, the NES and Game Boy game. Honestly, I don't think I've ever played either of those Game Boy games. I've definitely played the NES versions. I can't imagine that they're that playable now um, either but like yeah i don't think i i never see them in like used shops or anything i see like the, the nes games sometimes mm -hmm. but the yeah i don't see them around a lot i was surprised they didn't lead off with like their heavy hitters of like the super star wars series put those out there well you know that and, that's not even on that's a weird thing that's not even on the release list that must be a rights thing. There it must be some. Be. It's got to be tied up because I know they would put that out. And it's weird because they put out uh, the first Super Star Wars uh, digitally on PlayStation 4 and never followed up with Empire or Jedi. I don't know if it just didn't get enough downloads to warrant it. Yeah. But yeah, like to me, like those are no brainers. If you're a, a company that's going to be. Um, re-releasing and reproducing cartridge-based star wars games like i would almost feel like the first thing you go after are super star wars do you think most collectors <laughs> actually even like attempt to play these cartridges i don't think so i'm not planning on it i don't see why you would like i, I would definitely just keep it in the package because yeah. you could get like a regular cart for nothing so cheap. like that's the thing if if you see any of these games on the list and you're like, wow, I'd really love to play that. And you're not interested in the physical copy. There's, I mean, especially the no. PC games, like four times a year, good old games or yeah, steam. Yeah. will put those jokers on sale for pennies on the dollar. Yeah. Yeah. And they'll look better too. Usually like they might be a little bit buggier, but they'll usually like, you know, they they were kind of buggy to begin with. Yeah. Um, Man, oh, speaking of which, I never uh, mentioned it. I guess I, it's not like as interesting a surprise, but I got you something when I was in Japan. So um, this is one I think they are going to release, but maybe you won't have to get it now because I uh, the, the episode one racer. Oh, really? I got you a Japanese N64 uh, in the box. Oh. The, uh, it's got the best cover. Like, I think the American cover is like some kind of drawing of the pod racer, like coming at you. Right. The Japanese one has like Anakin Skywalker kid with the helmet and like, it just is like episode one racer. And it's got like a scene from the movie on it. Dude, that's awesome. I thought awesome. it looked so cool. I, I've been meaning to get to the post office. Oh, dude, I, I'm so stoked. Thank you, buddy. Oh yeah. No, my pleasure. Like when I was, I was looking around cause I was trying to find you a box copy of the Namco star Wars and that, that's some bitch just oh, hidden around. Well, like, you know, uh, our buddy Raymond, have you interacted with Raymond that was on Steel's show from Hong Kong? I may have, but I don't know that I, I don't know for sure. Well, he was at Star Wars Celebration, right? And he was staying at the same hotel as Jesse and I. And the first night we got there, I was talking to him and he's like, hey, I've got something. I'm going to give it to you at Steel's show. 
I was like, okay. And didn't think about it. Get to steel show that weekend. And Raymond comes up to me and he's like, Hey, I want you to hand me, have this. And he hands me a brand new boxed Namco star Wars game. Whoa. Yeah. Those are fairly rare. When I say brand new, I mean, you open it up because I didn't realize Famicom games came in like a hard plastic clamshell, almost like a mini version only, of a, a Genesis game. Only only Namco games. Oh, really? That was only for Namco. Yeah, only Namco games. All so, the other ones came in regular uh, cardboard boxes. You open it up. The cartridge is still in its plastic. The manual is still in It's never been played, never been like it looks like it came off the shelf in 1985. That's the best thing about shopping for used stuff in Japan. And I mean not just like games, but like records, CDs. They keep everything. Even if they open it, they'll keep like all like the like for example, like all the Japanese CDs and and records and stuff, they have these uh, like cardboard spine cards. Spine cards, right? Yeah. They go on them. That's yeah. That so that that it, the title can be written out in Japanese. Um in like, you know, Usually it'll be written out like a phonetic alphabet so so that, you know, the Japanese buyer can spot it more easily and it can be sorted more easily in the store. When you go to buy used CDs, there's a very good chance you're going to still find those spine cards attached to it. The boxes for these games, it's not so hard to find with the box, with the instruction manual. Kids, children kept them. Yeah, Uh, that's why I mean, like, it's beautiful. It's like because. I have such an affection for that weird ass game. And I've always thought it was one of the cooler looking Famicom cartridges because it's chrome, but it's yeah, not it's got like that silvery effect, like on it, a right? tealish chrome. It's a, it's a different color. You know, we got like the gold chrome, uh, Zelda games and stuff in the States. This is like, I've never seen this sh- specific shade. Yeah. It's really slick looking, man. It's really that- cool. That's the fun thing about collecting. So the Famicom, for for people who don't uh, aren't like hip to all this the the lingo here, is like the Nintendo Entertainment System, right? The little like gray, you know, toaster that came with like the robot and the zapper gun and stuff. The Japanese version of that came out a few years earlier and it looked totally different, but it was the same hardware, and that was called the the Famicom, which is short for Family Computer, and so that, that's what we're talking about. So it's. It, Oh my God! There's like a drag race going on Somebody's out Somebody's playing Reed's Racer. Yeah, no kidding. Jeez. Oh man, that's what I get for living on a hill in New Jersey. <laughs> that was Johnny Grosso speeding by in his Challenger. Yo, hey, hey Joey, there's a hill. <laughs> Let's take a tree and climb over that hill, Billy. Um, um, yeah, like it's. Anyway, that's that's what we're, that's what we mean when we're saying so. It's like the NES game, but it never was released in the United States. It was a totally unique Star Wars game. Yeah, those are. I wish they would put that out. They put that out. Yeah, and um, I honestly feel like Limited Run would have a market for that because you look at like, I don't think it was Limited Run. Maybe it was because there's a couple of companies that sort of followed in their wake. Maybe yeah. it was like Super Limited Games or something. Somebody did a release of Holy Diver. Yeah, they did. Yeah, that's right. Real Which recently. Which is another, like, you know, Japanese-only right. Nintendo game, yeah. And I feel like they could have done that with the Namco game um, because it is such a weird game. And I know, like, I think part of the reason I like it so much is because I didn't become aware of it maybe in the last six years. You know, like, just dicking around reading about Star Wars video games, I was like, there's a 
a Japanese Star yeah. Wars like Famicom game I've never heard of, and like it's they weird. go to Kessel, and it looks like <laughs> ancient Egypt for some reason. Yeah, like it's <laughs> it's so weird. Um, but yeah, you know what I have that I've never touched that I impulse bought in college when I found out about it as a Famicom disc system. I have really? one of those in a box. I don't know what possessed me to buy it because it doesn't hook up to an NES. I don't have a Famicom. Oh. I would love to get one because I think. You, do the, you have an NES? I do. So you can hook it up. You know what? That's right. You told me about this. There's, yeah, there's a, a ribbon a cable thing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But it's not like it's it's definitely not like I don't have a disk system mostly because like you can do all the disk system stuff with like a flash cartridge now. Right. But it, yeah, those were crazy. That was the weirdest idea. Yeah. Like, like for a, a brief period. Yeah. Ram ch or, or ROM chips were very became there was like a shortage of them in the in the mid 80s and they became very expensive to manufacture for a brief period of time. And so, uh, yeah. So the people at Nintendo were like, well, what we can do is we'll. At, create an add-on to our Nintendo system that reads diskettes, and they have slightly higher, uh, you know, storage space than the ROM chips at that time. Um, but they were very, very fragile. Yeah, and an interesting fact about it is like the original release of the Legend of Zelda mm -hmm. Famicom. It was a launch yeah. title on the Famicom disc system. It was. Yeah, <laughs> I think you know. I think the, the disc system is neat. Uh, like I think the discs themselves are neat. I have a couple, I have no idea what are actually on them. Cause that's another tricky yeah, thing about rewritable. <laughs> yeah. You could go to like convenience stores and stuff yep. and have your Famicom like, all right, you're done playing Zelda rewrite it with Doki Doki panic or whatever it is. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. The original Zelda, the original Metroid, the original mm -hmm. kid Icarus, um, the Japanese version of super Mario brothers two, they were yeah. all disk system games. Yeah, they were crazy. Um, the cool thing is that if you've got a Switch, if you sign up for Nintendo Online, they've been starting to kind of dribble out some disk system only games. So they put out the disk system version of Excite Bike, yeah, which actually can have I think two players on it, and like you know, so like it's slowly making its way out there. That's why it's like you know they could put out Star Wars, yeah, Namco. and you know, um, uh. Our buddy Chris Fresh, who we've had on for a couple of times, he always talks about like how he thinks the the Japanese and PAL version of the Super Nintendo is way cooler than the American version, like the look of the system itself. It is, yeah. It, yeah. And I agree, but to me, the Famicom, so cool. So much look cooler looking than the NES. And that's years of nostalgia about that yeah. damn NES for me. I think that Famicom is so neat like it does look really cool <laughs> i have like do you know that company 8-bit do or 8-bit dough they do like the yeah 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 sort of like classic controllers and wireless bluetooth i have the famicom color scheme nes pad to play like emulated games on my computer and stuff and it's i don't know man i just so dig good, that yeah. like maroon and gold color scheme the story behind the color scheme is that those were the two cheapest colors of plastic to to put out is the the beigeish white and then the maroon. Oh, and the really? interesting thing is, yeah. So the and the other interesting thing is, but that just so happens to be like the two like a kind of like sacred significant colors in like the Shinto religion. Like so, it, either orange and white or red and white. And so that just like as a coincidence, but it had this weird like 
kind of like quasi spiritual effect on the what was the first like big hit Japanese video game console <laughs> that revived the market. It's it's very interesting, just serendipitous that it worked out that way. But it's such a weird uh, everything about that that platform was designed to be as cheap as hell. Yeah, <laughs> everything. And like the cartridges look cool. I just I'm in love with the Famicom. Like just the design of it. The only thing I don't like about it is that the the controllers are hardwired into the system. Oh, and the cords are so short too. Because in Japan, like everybody's like like living room is like the size of like you know like your average like I'd say like maybe like a you know two toilet stalls. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> like take out the wall in between. They're like really small spaces. Yeah. So it was no problem to have like, you know, two feet of cord between you and the TV. But yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's really cool. Like, I'm glad that Shadows of the Empire is coming out. I think that's a that's a good collector piece. I do, too. They, are they going to they're going to put out episode one racer, right? They are. I think that's that. And I need to look. There's I can't remember if they're doing Rogue Squadron. Oh, yeah. The, that was another in 64 game. Right. And then I don't know if they're doing battle for naboo but i think if they're doing either of those that's the last of the cartridge based systems then it's all pc titles because you know they're doing like dark forces and uh the x-wing and tie fighter games and oh, a man. few other games so like they, it was a big list as it was but it did sort of stick out that like super star wars wasn't on there there's a couple other big ones and maybe you know they're who knows maybe those titles were more expensive to license and so they're hoping this is successful and they can do like a second wave with some of those who knows i'm, gu I'm guessing it has something to do with the fact that if they put out super star wars on the ps4 like somebody must have like paid for the rights to to have that out there and sell it and yeah. that might just be what's holding them back and <laughs> well, if, you, if you if you can't do super star wars like are you going to do super empire and super jedi without it like it right. would be kind of weird right but see they also put out star wars bounty hunter on PlayStation 4 digitally, and they brought that out from Limited Run. So I don't know mm -hmm. why, you know, one, it wouldn't be the same for all of them, I guess is what I'm trying to say. It doesn't have to be. Yeah, it, no. it's it's a good, it's it's one of those things you just, nobody knows. But, <clears throat> so um, we've got a couple of voicemails and an email. So do you want to sort of move on and do that? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's see who we have to hear from and listen to a little trans transitory music as we are prone to do around here because our buddy steve sings likes to sing us a lovely song every week the only jedi master who can crash box running around slaying He's a big Surian stud. He loves to split chicks with his pud. Kitty, cockhead, to stroke his cone and suck on his balls. Kitty, cockhead, what you gonna do when he comes on you now? He's a Jedi Council stooge, but he'll be pumping spooge tomorrow. Cockhead. Cockhead, 
Um, All right. You got to love it when somebody puts that much effort into a thing. Why not? Just like every episode, you earned it, man. Oh, man. I like, I love it so much. It's so goofy and like, I just, I just think it's so funny. And God knows we have ridden that Kia D cockhead wave until it is no longer a wave. I was thinking about Kia D the other day and I was like, I wonder like how much that guy could move his head before the cone would fall off. Like the actor. Buddy, so, you know, my dream is to have Silas Carson on the show. Yeah. And I've reached out to his representation. And I, like, you know, that's... When I started a podcast, that was never, like, anything I even considered doing. Like, like you right. know what Steele does with his interview shows? Like, yeah, I can't yeah. even imagine doing it. Like, he does such a good job with them, but, like... And I just don't really know how to go about it, but I said something about it on the show and people were like, look, we, I looked into it and this is who he's represented by and stuff. But man, I would love to have him on the show um, and just like see what it was like. Right. It probably could have been knocked off or like it must have been like taped to his head and then they put makeup over the seams. Or glued to his head. So, yeah, like, he probably couldn't move his head very much. No, probably not. So everybody's making fun of Kia D, like, oh, that guy's a stuffed shirt. He He's always, like, got to stick up his ass, and he doesn't fall in the Like, yeah, the dude couldn't move his head, all right? It's like, uh, give him a break. <laughs> like, dude, if, and if that's the case, you know there's bloopers out there with his head <laughs> yeah, falling. And I got to see that, man. I do. I, I really want to see I got to see that. I, I just watch... What about the droid attack? Oh my god! Oh, good lord! Oh, my cone! <clears throat> during some of those fight scenes during the Geonosian battle arena or whatever. Oh yeah, <laughs> that that cone head hit the ground a couple of times. I bet if you freeze frame it, you'll see the cone like come detached partially from the <laughs> or like head. just flopping over, looking kind of like Papa Smurf's cap. Uh, you know, yeah, in a couple of just, frames. <laughs> How funny would it be if somebody just took like a stick and just whacked it and just like bent over forward like a. <laughs> It's like a Dairy Queen Sunday on that thing. Just like, <laughs> all right. So first up, yeah. we're going to hear from King Tom. Hey there, Hudson. Well, I was doing some reading through some old news just because I had nothing better to do. And I remembered something that I think I know I forgot. And I guess must have slipped a lot of people's minds. But originally, the three sequel trilogy movies were supposed to come out in May of their respective years. Now, The Force Awakens supposed to be out in May of 2015, but that got pushed back early in production. Last Jedi was supposed to be out in May, six months after Rogue One. Although I think that might have gotten moved, too. I didn't specifically see anything about that. And then finally, Rise of Skywalker was supposed to be out a few months ago, but that got pushed back when the director changed from Trevor out of J.J., and this kind of got me thinking about all the things that that would be different if we had seen May release dates for these, you know, three major blockbusters rather than them then being released in December. I think first of all there would have been a lot more competition at the box office. But I also kind of wonder what that would mean for the way we look at these movies. Um, one of the reasons people say that Solo didn't do as well is because it was released in, sh- in such close proximity to 
Last Jedi. I know there were other issues with marketing, but I think I think that was definitely part of it. Um, but also, you know, if that were the case, we would be done with the sequel trilogy right now, which is kind of weird to wrap my head around. And it turns out I'd rather that things happen the way they happen because I know we've talked before. I love the December release date, but also I feel like we're getting more extra material because of this delay. You know, there's all, all these books and comic books uh, still to come out. And I think that maybe we might not have gotten everything or we would have gotten them earlier and they would have been rushed. And I happen to like most of the books, most of the comics we've gotten. I just finished the um, the Thrawn book that came out this week. It was good. And I don't know if, you know, things like that would have it's been, been given three days. for them to fully develop because that finishes off the trilogy of that book. And I think a lot of this extra material that is adding to these stories that we love would be different too. So I was wondering if you've if this is something you've thought about or if you had any opinions. Not not on the whole May versus December thing, but we've because we've talked about that, but where would we be at now if the movies have all had all already come out? Anyway, thanks for listening and I will talk to you later. Hmm. Well, okay, so you do bring up a good point. That that book's only been out three days, and King Tom's... Dude, King Tom is... I think he took speed reading courses. Doesn't this guy have kids? Like, what? what how yeah. does he have this much time? I'm serious. I think he speed reads. I'm not even he's, saying that to be funny. He's got time to, to ponder the alternate universe that would exist if these movies were released in May instead of December. Like, like what could that... Like, I... I had some time on my hands. I was thinking about what would it be like if The Force Awakens were released in May? It's like, what? King Tom, like, he's a speed reader. He has some sort of extrasensory perception. Mm -hmm. And he is a prolific podcast contributor. Like, right. the, t the, the nickname, to me, extremely accurate. And he's regal as fuck. I met the man. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I've never met him, but I I, I feel the <clears throat> his eminence from here. So yeah, I, that's one of those things. It is kind of weird to think about like how much the release dates for the sequel trilogy movies specifically have moved around. Um, you know, like I feel like Rogue One was pretty set in stone when it was going to be. I can't remember quite well if it got moved from May to December. And then obviously they stuck to their guns on Solo. Um, I don't, I honestly don't know. It's hard for me to remember like what came out in May of 2015. So like, I don't know if it would have had much competition, obviously. Like, I don't think uh, Solo being in May of last year helped that movie no. by any means because of everything around it. Yeah, I mean, look, they we all know what really happened, which is like everybody was reacting to the last Jedi and how terrible it was and the boycott. No, it's the, what what really happened is like like they were trying to like what if we like promote a Star Wars movie like it's an Ant-Man movie? Like can we still make money? And the answer I think it had to be no because like they had to reshoot the movie because they wouldn't put out something that was done like an Ant-Man movie like Yeah, and you know, they care too much about the material. Honestly, you know, if they hadn't had to reshoot 90% or whatever, however much they reshot on Solo. And let's like let's take box office performance out of it. Let's say they released that movie and it did the exact same. 
without having to reshoot it, I wonder if it would have been considered as much of a sort of financial hit as it turned out to be. Yeah. I mean, then again, like if everybody hated it, like it could have been a thing where everybody loved it and it became like a huge, and then you'd see a bunch more movies shot that way. Oh, I mean, if, if solo had done even rogue one numbers and I say even because rogue one is besides solo, the one that's done well, but has done the least, like it still broke a billion, but it did over it way overperformed. Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah. Yeah. But if it had done rogue one numbers or it even done, I don't know, 800 million at the box office if it had done ant-man or dr strange or you know something like that numbers spider-man homecoming numbers yeah uh, there would be i mean we would not be waiting until 2022 for another star wars movie after this year no because they they could do one on the cheap or relatively on mm -hmm. the cheap right and then still make money like they you would just see more kind of slightly lower not lower quality, I don't want to say, because I thought Solo was like pretty high quality in terms of, but you know, it, like it did feel like a lot more like claustrophobic in a sense. Like it felt you smaller. Know, you get to you get to see Kessel finally, and Kessel is like, well, it's like a you, parking it, lot and some tunnels. Yeah, it's like it looks like you know, like somebody's like old you know vacation videos of Old Faithful or something. It's like kind of just feels a little bit. It's obviously indoors and other stuff that you never really can say. Like you never felt like Dagobah was like just a room inside a hangar, right? You know, but like because they really put so much work into it, and people probably got malaria because of what they did with that set. But um, yeah, I think the biggest change, like just alternate universe talk here for King Tom, is that like the toy companies would be making even more money because they'd be able to put a lot of their big release time stuff would be timed up with the holiday season. If, if the movies were being released in yeah, May, you could you put know, out the toys in like November. Yeah. Because you wouldn't have this issue where they're being super secretive. So you can only release certain product leading into the holidays, you know, by if the movies came out in May, you could have your first wave that has the stuff that's not super spoiler, you know, material, but by Christmas, then you do have like Ray with a lightsaber, for example, or, you know, whatever it may be. Like, I think that would be uh, a different case for the toy companies. Um, I really wonder after we get out of sort of the JJ Abrams uh, era of star Wars. Cause I do feel like, and you know, I've stated many times, I'm a big fan of JJ Abrams, but mm -hmm. um I wonder once we get out of the JJ era for lack of a better term is um, are they going to be a little more open about the next trilogy? Because I kind of feel like personally they might need to be, especially if this, if they're sticking to this whole like all new era, unexplored areas of the galaxy, like all new star Wars, you know, like, Mm -hmm. I feel like they're going to have to be more forthcoming with the information so right. to get people interested because, right. you know, with the sequel trilogy, really all they had to say was Star Wars Episode Seven, original cast is coming back. Exactly. And, it sells itself. And it sells itself. Now, when you don't have that with a Star Wars movie, like, you know, Rogue One didn't necessarily have that, but they sure did put Vader in the trailer. They know? did. Uh, yeah. obviously solo is about Han Solo, one of the most popular characters in star Wars history. So I think they're going to have to change up their approach to star Wars in the next 
sort of Yeah, well, cycle. I mean, we did see something like this because remember when the prequel trilogy kicked off, that was like, it, it's it's easy to look at that. Oh, that's a license to print money. But like, you've got to go back and make a Star Wars movie, but you can't really use most of your characters. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, you could, but you shouldn't. Like, it was a real stretch to put 3PO into episode one. Like, it was he was clearly just there to be there. So you could say, hey, 3PO's in this movie. Your favorites are all back, you know. Like, you can't have Han Solo, you can't have Lando, you can't have Princess Leia, you can't have Luke. And it's also, at the time, prequels, like a concept, that, that whole word was invented for that movie, I right. think. It, right? That's what I've, I've always thought, is the term prequel came about because of Star Wars. A, a I, term that's used... All the time now. All the time. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, they, there was, you know, a steep hill to climb there. And we, I'm pretty sure we knew a lot more about, like, the status quo of the galaxy for that movie before it came out than we did for episode seven, eight, Rogue One even. Like, it was just, there was a lot more information out there because they really needed people to be on board with it and to understand, you know, what they were going to get. Yeah. And, and which makes perfect sense. It's like because it's 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 unknown territory. So, yeah, I think that would be like that. Like if you're going to do like a Knights of the Old Republic era type thing, whatever that means. I mean, really, that just means a old long, Star long time yeah. ago. <laughs> yeah. Back before everybody, you know, was born and you've got to you've got to pitch it to people like you're going to have to put. I mean, I guarantee you something like a, it's not going to be a Star Wars story, although it could be. But, it, 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 you know, it'll be something like that that says, like, Star Wars something something, you know. And then it, it'll be something like where the awkward-ass title for the prequels was, like, Episode 1, Episode 2, Episode 3 was, like, the first part of the title. Yeah. Because really – but it had to be because people wouldn't know. You know, you know the um, average John Key Popcorn wouldn't know necessarily what it was. Was, yeah. was the first draft of The Phantom Menace – I might be mistaken with this. This might be a whole episode of – Hall says wrong shit about the Phantom Menace, but wasn't it, didn't the original title in the first draft was just Star Wars, the beginning? Yeah. Terrible. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I mean, you know, on one hand, like, you know, the first what draft of Attack of the Clones is like what Jar Jar's big adventure. So like, who knows whether, right. <laughs> how serious that was. But I mean, yeah, you get the impression that like, I really do feel like that movie, the way that the galaxy was shaped in that movie, like where Yoda's back and R2 and 3PO and as many, every single legacy character that could have been in there, except for maybe Chewbacca was put in there. And that has to be why, because you got to market this stuff. You got to get people excited again and you need familiar faces. Yeah. So yeah, Yoda's going to be there. Like it didn't make sense at the time. Like nobody thought Yoda wasn't born on Dagobah. You know, nobody, <laughs> nobody. Now it's fine that he wasn't, but I'm just saying like nobody thought like, oh, that guy's because he's a frog man and he's on a swamp planet. <laughs> he probably was born there. Right. Like, so, you know, like, but yeah, it makes sense. Like you got to get people, you got to put asses in the seats. And if you're not a risk, if you're a risk averse person, yeah, you're going to have to market that stuff. So I wouldn't be surprised if the first like old Republic era thing did have Yoda in it just for that reason, because yeah. he could be old enough to be in there. Yeah, I mean, not well, and I'm a firm believer that if we ever do get an old Republic movie, which I I don't know if it'll be a movie or a Disney Plus thing or whatever, but if it ever does happen, to me, 
there's no way they're just going to be like, well, you know the story of the video game? We're just going to adapt that. Oh, never in a million years. Never in a million. Now, will there be a character called Revan? Maybe. They brought yeah. Thrawn back. They may take the same approach to Revan as they did Thrawn. You know, repurpose him, keep, you know, the design and the basic idea. But, you know, I, yeah. I, I don't think we're going to be seeing like a Cartho Nassi and everybody hanging out and doing things. No. And, I think you know, people would be disappointed if they did that. Yeah, like, I do too I because I don't think that, you know, there's no way to do a 40-hour Knights of the Old Republic game in two hours and have people be like, I'm satisfied. You know what I mean? Like, it's a lose-lose right. situation to try to do that. At the same time, like, then again, like, everybody saw, like, Infinity War and Endgame, and those were ostensibly based on a comic book series that it really barely resembled. So yeah. it had most of the same characters but and also it was better in every conceivable way in my opinion i don't know if you've reread the original infinity <laughs> gauntlet i do not look thanos wants to bang a skeleton that's the whole point like he wants to have sex with the skeleton that's why he kills half the, you know it doesn't make any damn sense no sense at all um and and you know that's like and i'm guilty of it too a lot of people want to sort of compare the way marvel approaches things and the way star wars approaches things and to me the thing that Marvel has that Star Wars doesn't is they have a jumping off point with these, you know, oh, yeah. with these storylines. And like you said, they're not direct adaptations. And I feel like it's better for it. You know, definitely. You don't um, want to see those things directly translated to film. It would be terrible. And then, you know, so Star Wars doesn't necessarily have that. You could do that with some EU stuff. And honestly, I feel like they have. They've definitely taken some inspiration from, EU, you know. Oh, yes, most definitely. <laughs> Without a doubt, they've taken some inspiration, not just stuff like Thrawn, but like, well, you know. Solo, although it doesn't do the origin story that we got in the EU, it is shockingly similar in a lot of ways. Right. And, and you know. It, it, I'm sure that was not necessarily intentional, but it's like, well, how many different versions of this can we do? Like, of course, he's going to start out as like some ragamuffin street urchin type underdog that's entertaining that's like a good story and of course he's going to have like some lady love betray him or he thinks is betrayed or something and because that's a good story like but everything else is different yeah and so you know what is basically trying to say is if they do want to do knights of the old republic and use the game as a jumping off point you know as a light inspiration then yeah i think that could work and i could think that could be a lot of fun but I also don't know that I want to see the goddamn Star Forge in a movie or if I want to see, you know, yeah. some of the the parts of Knights of the Old Republic that people don't talk about as, you know, often as like Re Revan and Bastila. Yeah. And, okay, who? so what's the one thing you would think if they were going to do it or say we're going to borrow something from Knights of the Old Republic and we won't say which, but there is something that makes a return. It's not necessarily a major part of the story, but it's not a cameo or a shout out. What would you want it to be? From either of those two uh, games. Ooh, that's a good. So <clears throat> I really. So it's not, if it's not a major thing, that's tougher because my initial thought is you could bring the characters of Revan and Bastila over. And I think that could be an interesting story. Um, the element I've always liked about Knights of the Old Republic is that it's kind of got that whole. You know, uh, I served with your father in the Clone Wars type thing where 
initially Revan and who's his buddy? Malgus, is that it? I always forget that dude's name. He's the main villain in the first one. The guy with like the trap jaw looking thing. Yeah. Like Masters of the Universe. Yeah. yeah. I don't remember either. Uh, I think it's Darth Malgus. They're Jedi and they go out to fight in the Mandalorian Wars. Right. And like lose themselves in to the dark side, like in the process of defeating the Mandalorians. I always thought that was kind of a, a neat concept. So I wouldn't mind something like that being brought over. Um but yeah, it's it's hard to say like a smaller element of those games because if you're not going to do like the Revan and Bastila thing, I almost kind of feel like you just need to come up with maybe a fresh slate story. Yeah, well, it could be any aspect of it. Like we've already seen one thing show up, um, which is a very small thing, but the, the Hammerhead Corvette's basically yep. like a design taken directly from that. Um, and then there's other stuff that's worked its way into like the visual dictionaries and stuff like the what Ricotta prime is technically canon in like the, <laughs> the, the ancient like race of like weird bug eye hammerhead Popeye people. Yep. Um, is sort of around, I guess. And, and there's something else I feel like, I don't know this for sure, but was Malachor Malachor was a old Republic thing, right? And I think Malachor was like, it was, they changed the name. I, this, I actually read about this very recently uh, and I don't know why it just showed up. In, in my sphere of consciousness, but I think that they called it Korriban. Oh no. Because so, it was based on like the comic books, but then like George Lucas apparently didn't like that name and he chose Malachor. It. No, but it's the same planet. No, 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 no. We, you're Malachor is the planet they go to in rebels where, um, Darth Maul is. You're thinking of Korriban to Moraband. He, he changed oh, it from yeah, Korriban yeah. to Moraband. Um, yeah, you're but, right. You're right. But it yeah. is the same planet and same concept. That's an even weirder. Like, if you don't like the name, you change like one letter. Like, <laughs> but that's are you really like, look, you know, like uh, at Count Dooku, like really like you're not like batting a, a perfect game here, you know, pitching a perfect game. You're like, you could go with a K instead of an M. Yeah, I but, don't, you know, sometimes I think Uncle George is like, I just want to change that, man. I want to change uh, something. Yeah, Get in the I mix. don't blame him. <laughs> He's like, well, it's it's really a very minor change. I just it just strikes me as odd. It's like, no, it's, it's, no, the Korriban, Moraband. Yeah, it's Moraband. such a small change. Korriban, that that's that's bullshit. I don't. What is what is the shit? I don't. Give me a diet coke. Um, you know, like it, it's just it's funny how creative people are, though, right? Like they just have these hangups. Like, no, that's not right. It can't. Korriban sounds like a Star Trek planet. That sounds like a Doctor Who plan. That's not a Star Wars plan and a Moraband. That's Star Wars. I I would do um I would do I like the idea of the, the in, in Knights of the Old Republic 2, there's this mentor character, right? Who's like an old lady Jedi and she gets her hand cut off, like her lightsaber hand. And and she's mentoring the the main character of the game. And like you start to learn a lot, like kind of darker stuff about her. I won't spoil it because it is pretty cool when you. It is. It's not like you don't see it coming. You definitely see it coming, but like that, that like kind of like very slow. Like it is sort of how you kind of imagine. Like if you didn't have to compress the Anakin Palpatine thing into like ten minutes of movie, like it's kind of more how you'd imagine it would happen. Where it's like a very gradual thing, where somebody who seems quite trustworthy ends up having a very different agenda, but for important story reasons, the main character sticks around and doesn't just like dump her out the airlock. Right. I like the idea of a character who is physically frail, 
um, but has like horrible forbidden knowledge. And that would be like an injury. Like he doesn't have to be, have the same name, but I like that idea of like, it's, it's the, it's an old lady who's missing a hand and yet she ends up being this incredibly dangerous person, which I always thought was really cool. Yeah. I think that's a pretty cool idea to, and uh, that is a, a cool part of Knights of the Old Republic too. It's not nearly the kind of like world mind, world shattering, mind bending twist that you get in the original game. No, it's but uh, to yeah. be fair, like ever since Empire Strikes Back, I feel like people are are looking for some kind of big twist or big surprise moment in Star Wars, and so and it, it's it's an element of Star Wars that I feel like they've tried to replicate replicate several times. And to me, the one in the original Knights of the Old Republic is probably one of the better. I think it's the closest they get. Yeah, like it's one of the better executed sort of it's, attempts. It's interesting because although everybody dumps on it, like Ryan Johnson's like not a real Star Wars fan, like he knows those games. Yep. Um, pretty well. He he played them. Like I know this for a fact. Um, so and he, uh, I think, very consciously tried to steer away from that kind of revelation in in his story like where like the big revelation is that there is no revelation yeah like you know and, and that kind of works in a different way because although it's not shocking to the audience it's, it's shocking, shocking to, to the character, character. yeah right. yeah all righty <clears throat> well we got a voicemail from jim and i think this is about droids wouldn't oh this be wouldn't this be cool if he's um calling in about reap I can answer those questions. <laughs> hey, Halls. And I guess Will is out. Maybe you have a guest host. Hi, guest host. Um, hey. I was curious. I had one real question, and that's, uh, do you think C-3PO is going to kick some ass? Uh, do you think he's going to fire a weapon? I'd really like it if uh, they programmed to actually shoot a gun because they need every hand. And uh, he still is all limited. His limited mobility, scuffle, scutter, um, <laughs> scurrying around, but shuffling around. But, uh, you know, maybe dusting some dudes. That'd be uh, pretty neat. And do you think R2-D2 is going to make it? I'm, I'm worried about him. Uh, he's not in that footage by the Death Star. Mm -hmm. Just uh, curious what you think of these robots. What, what you think is going to happen? Are they safe? Uh, are they all going to make it? Do they really have to be destroyed for this saga to end? Can't they just live on? And we just think they're in a dusty closet somewhere. But uh, what do you think? All right. Ignite the green. Oh, so I've talked about it before. I think if there's going to be like a legacy character that's not around at the end of this movie, I could very well see it being C-3PO because, you know, there may be some annoying aspects of Anthony Daniels' personality, but to me, he is C-3PO, and I don't know. Like It, it just seems like you got him for nine movies. If there is going to be an episode 10, like what's the likelihood that you can get him back? Right. Why not take the opportunity to send off C-3PO in some sort of cool way? So then it's not even a question or you don't have to be like, well, he's being played by this character and we got to sound alike because playing a lot of Star Wars video games over the past several months is very obvious when it's not Anthony Daniels. Right. And people give it a real good try sometimes. It's yeah. Or like if you listen to like, you know, audiobooks, like, mm -hmm. you know, somebody's got to do the C-3PO voice and 
you can imitate the mannerisms of Anthony Daniels pretty easily, but doing the actual voice, it's not the same. It's, right. it's just like James Earl Jones, you know, it's like, but you know, that character doesn't have to come back, but three PO could live forever. Yeah. I don't know. Well, first I think Jim's first question was, do you think three PO is going to kick some ass? Um, I don't know, man. <laughs> I feel like it's too silly of a easy laugh for them not to do it. If they're going to, do something where he disguises himself as some kind of like, like, you know, for esque character, you know, he's like a, a protocol droid that has been altered to be a killer. Um, which I always think is cool aspect of droids that doesn't get explored enough in the, in the stories in the, in the movies. You know, um, I don't know if you've checked it out yet, but I think you would really enjoy it. There's this, um, this book that it, I think it was the last, book that pablo did before he moved on to like the episode nine visual dictionary and it's that uh scum and villainy book that is it's sort of a reference book about different you know underworld characters and stuff oh yeah i've heard about that and uh it's it's actually written from the perspective of like three different investigators who are basically reporting on boba fett or Forlom or Zuckus or IG-88 or Rondo and things like that. And like the stuff about like Forlom and IG-88, like it's really cool and interesting if you're into droids and stuff and like how like a different path a droid can take in Star Wars besides just like a protocol droid or an astromech droid. I I bet you we're going to get something like that in uh, The Mandalorian. Seems like it. I think we are, buddy, because... Yeah, I think we are. That's actually what really made me uh, really get that book. Like, that book's up my alley as it is. But once we started hearing stuff about the Mandalorian and who might or might not be in it, like, I I had to check to see if there was any sort of interesting character pieces that would shed some light on that. And there's some neat stuff. The coolest, did they, in that book, did they explain have any explanation for why Forlom's head seems patterned after whatever Zuckus's species is? That, no, they don't. Because that is the weirdest thing. It's clearly designed to look like Zuckus's head. Yeah, and if I'm not mistaken, I think in the EU, they were like buddies. Yeah, so it makes sense. Like, if you are have a protocol droid and you're selling it to Zuckus bug people, what are they, the Gand? The yes. Gand, right? Yes. Um, yeah, if you're going to sell a droid like yeah you would change you wouldn't have a human-esque head you would have a zuckus looking head mm-hmm. and it just makes like zuckus looks like the kind of guy who'd like you know defy the the will of the maker and to forcibly reprogram a, a protocol droid to to be a killer my and, favorite thing about zuckus in that book is he has this hunting ritual that he goes through right mm-hmm. where he makes this concoction, this psychotropic concoction that he inhales through his breathing mask (laughs) while he's meditating. And he has like this weird out of body experience that helps him hunt down his bounties. And like the Imperial investigator that's investigating him originally does so because she, or he, I can't remember what it is, believes he might be force sensitive. Ah, but oh, that's really out, cool. But finds out that, like, there might be a little force involved, but it mainly seems to be this weird, like, psychedelic, yeah, vision walk he, thing he does. It's not 
the Jedi. He's just tripping balls. Yeah. He's the yeah. kind of guy that would like, you would see Zuckus's uh, mug shot in the paper because he got caught <laughs> selling whippets at a widespread panic concert. He's like He's like that Galaxy's version of Florida man, right? Yeah. Like- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Spice. Wa- uh, what is it? Uh, Flocka? Isn't that the weird, like crazy? I can people. I can't. I don't know. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I. Uh, you know, in the trailer for episode nine, you see C three PO, and he's wearing the bandolier, and you know, there's been stuff that's been circulated about with him and the bandolier, and maybe another weapon. So I don't know, man. What What is the reason for that? Or is it a like a disguise type thing where they're trying to? pass him off as something he's not i'll tell you right now if if they if this is what some people speculate which i don't think there's any support for this other than the fact that somebody else is wearing chewy stuff but if chewy is killed i that is like the one thing i could see in a movie that would just make me like want to get up and leave because it's like shooting a dog you know what i mean it's like if you know it's like a beloved dog it's like like benji or lassie and someone just kills him it's like no don't do that i agree anybody could be chewbacca he could live forever the r2 could be around forever i think like why would you ever kill r2 and also how do you kill a droid like c-3po was blown to bits and they just put him back together and you say oh this voice modulator was swapped out and now he sounds slightly more like um i don't know who it would be anthony lane yeah (laughs) Yeah, uh, yeah. Like there's, there's no reason to. I mean, I think that you could kill three PO. I would be very sad about that because to me, like R two and three PO and Chewbacca are Star Wars. Like, I just don't like the idea of. But I can understand for story reasons why they would want to do something to three PO so that if he was brought back, there's a justification for him being different. Yeah. Instead of a red arm, he's got a red mouth, and and he sounds like. I don't know what Chris rock oh. <laughs> and then, you know, some, you know, like, you know, you could do something with that and it would kind of, I don't know whether I'd like it, but at least it would make sense. But killing Chewie or R2 is just like, why? I, you, I, I totally agree. I think Chewie like, and it's, it's from the same standpoint. I, like I take a George Lucas standpoint, like we were talking earlier. I think it's an inevitability that there's going to be an episode 10 down the line at the very least there will be something set after episode nine will they call it episode 10 who knows maybe it'll be episode one in the ray uh saga yeah. instead of the skywalker saga or whatever it is unless she's unless she's uh dubbed ray skywalker and uses that as her last name which she doesn't have a last name people that can't be a coincidence dude uh, you know I, that is something that I have been championing since before The Last Jedi came out. Like, as I came more and more sort of, like, cool with the idea of Rey not having to be related to anybody and the fact that I was like, I don't know, man, it could be that she's not, you know? Yeah. I've always liked the idea of her being a Skywalker in name, her taking the name, and I always thought, like, I don't know, like, I, I'm sure this is probably not a connection that would even be made by the people writing the movie. But like, you know, George Lucas's kids are adopted. Yeah. And I yeah. Th- always thought that would be a nice nod to George Lucas is like the, right. the, the symbol of the Jedi who's going to carry on hope and light through the galaxy 
has the last name of Skywalker, but she's adopted. And that is no less valid than if she was, you know. Of course not. Right. right. So, like, I always just thought that would be a nice little sort of connection. And that's how I'm leaning. That's what I think is going to happen in the movie. That's that's what I think is going to happen, but I hesitate to make a prediction about it because it's something that I desperately want to happen. That's my favorite possible outcome for that character. Imagine the scene, right? So... What is it? The galaxy starts to learn about Ray. Everybody knows who Luke Skywalker is, apparently. So that's one thing. They learn there's this young woman out there who has Luke Skywalker's weapon. Mm-hmm. She doesn't have a last name. She was allegedly Luke's last student. They're going to start calling her Ray Skywalker, whether she wants her to or not. And she might disagree with it. And then Luke's ghost can just show up and say, hey, it suits you. And like, look, I did you wrong. All right. Like, I was not like, I think they do like, I love, I love the way that the, their interact, their kind of interaction and relationship was in the last Jedi. That's exactly what I wanted to happen. I'm probably like the only person in the world who's like, I hope Luke is a jerk. Um, because I just thought like, that's what, that's why if Luke wouldn't run away from the problems, unless he was just a depressed old man, he just wanted to get away from it. And he's not going to like somebody showing up and saying, Hey, teach me. Cause he feels like, he's got a really bad track record when it comes to teaching people to use the force and be heroes. So it makes sense. But like, I want his ghost to come back and say, Hey, look, I'm sorry. Like that was not cool. Like I, not in those words, but you know, like to say something is like, look, the least I can do, it's your name. Now you can use it. You know, like if that's what people are going to call you anyway, I hereby dub the Ray Skywalker go yeah. out. And like, I also, One of the things that kind of bummed me out, and this is more indicative of just what I like to see in movies and TV and stuff, is mm-hmm. I wanted Ray and Luke to be on better terms with each other by the end of The Last Jedi. Yeah. Because the, my favorite character from the original trilogy, like a real character, not a character that just looks cool that I'm obsessed with, is Luke. <laughs> yeah. Um, my favorite character from the sequel trilogy is Ray. So yeah. I really wanted, like, even if I love the way it plays out and I love that movie, but I just wanted them to be on better terms with each other. So, like, it is hard. Yeah, I have this idea of, you know, sometime in episode nine, like Luke, like Luke's moment with Ray before she goes off on her final task, kind of like, you know, Yoda and Obi-Wan's last moments with Luke before he heads off is him saying, like, look. If, you know, this is be paraphrasing, I'm not a writer, but basically saying like, if a last name is that important to you and like a sense of belonging is important to you, then you're a Skywalker. You like you're carrying on my legacy. You're carrying on the legacy of the Jedi. A thousand generations live in. Mm -hmm. I've passed on everything I know, but this is your fight now. You're Ray Skywalker to me. That is so much more fulfilling and like would make me so much more happy than some convoluted, well, okay, we need to talk, Ray. I hooked up with a lady and she had you, but she ran off and she hooked up with a douchebag who was an alcoholic and sold you. Or you know what I mean? Or, well, your dad is Han Solo. He's dead, but you know, whatever, however they would explain it. Like to me, it's just so much more satisfying if they went that route. Yeah, it's just 
I, I, f- I feel like that's a way of like kind of splitting the difference of like you're validating the character, you're connecting her to what came before, but you're not saying that her worth comes from just being related to those people. She earned the title, right? Like right. if it's if you want to create a title, and you know it goes all the way back to the old school like first like kind of sort of not so great drafts of Star Wars, the original is it was originally going to be like the force was kind of in the Jedi were founded by like a founding member. And that family is what carried on the Jedi. Right. So like, it's not like, or an idea of like, there's like a clan that kind of brings the tradition forward. It's not too different. And if you want to bet on something coming back into the story that hasn't been there, like bet on the stuff that's in the rough drafts of, of other star Wars movies. Cause that stuff tends to stick around until somebody finally uses it. Yeah. That's why I always bring up in the return of the Jedi draft. The first one, where in the final fight against the Emperor, like Yoda and Obi-Wan come back from the dead. Yeah. You know, if you, yeah, I, I think that this, if you want to talk about like, oh, the mind melting thing that uh, Kevin, uh, I almost said Kevin Bacon, but it's Kevin Smith. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Bacon. <laughs> um, but like the thing that he, that's the other kind of news from the week is like he supposedly saw some, you know, he was going to go to the set and JJ told him, you really don't want to see this. And, some people have interpreted this as meaning that the set is going to be it's like a location that's very important. And I'm not so sure whether that's necessary. Is that what he said or is he just say that the, what they're filming is going to. So he said so he went and he looked at the set and he and they were going to take him to show him a specific set. And before he went in, J.J. said to him, I'll show it to you if you want, but it's the last shot of the movie and it's mind-melting, you want to see this in theaters. And then other people working on the movie said, like, I'm glad I saw it, but I wish I had waited to see it in the theater. So to yeah. me, it's a combination. It's the probably the lo- location and what's going on in the shot, you know? Yeah. So, okay, so I'm probably wrong about this, but that was, I was thinking, like, oh, if that's it, that must mean there's, like, a bunch of actors, like, reprising their roles, like, coming back. Because if you're bringing back a ghost Palpatine, and if Palpatine is not a ghost and is actually some flesh and blood recreation, then I will eat my pants with a knife and fork. I will have to soak them for a long time and kind of <laughs> boil them, but I will do it. And No, because that's just so silly. Like, let's not do that. And I don't think they would because, you know, Ian McDermott didn't even know he was going to be in the movie. Uh, so it's probably just like a couple lines, but if you're going to bring him back in any sense, like why not have like a ghost fight, like have some ghosts like throwing down. Why not yeah. have ghosts doing it? Yeah. I just think, I don't know, man, it, to me, like at this point with the force awakens, I feel like I had a better grasp on sort of the story and story structure, you know, like I obviously I didn't have everything right or have everything down, but by this point, I definitely had sort of figured out the misdirection with Ray and Finn. Because, like, I think a lot of people don't necessarily remember all the marketing kind of right. tried to make it seem like Finn was the Jedi. Like, you know, and then it was a huge, you know, supposed to be a huge surprise when, and that, like, it was still a surprise, but I could kind I had at that point kind of figured out. And I think there's some misdirection going on. With this, yeah. I can't even comprehend like there's so much on the table and like, how are they going to bring Palpatine back? What's his purpose going to be in all of this stuff that, I mean, it's, it's exciting to me because I feel like I'm going in with a, uh, and to me, that is a strength of the last Jedi. 
Like the last right. Jedi set the table for episode nine in a way to where it's not as obvious where it's going, you know? Yeah, like, it isn't. Yeah, that's exactly right. Cause it, what, what the secret of the last Jedi, and I think one of the reasons why a lot of people hate it. And I've, I may have said this before on some other, probably four other podcasts, but like, it's kind of like, it's really not the, it's the end of not a trilogy, but like a quintology. It's the end of Luke Skywalker's adventures. Mm-hmm. It's like if you look at you don't have to look at them all in the trilogy context. You can look at you can split them up any way you want in episodes, you know, four five, six and like the last part of seven and then eight are Luke Skywalker's entire story. And you, you, and that's why it felt so weird to me the first time I saw it, I was like, that's the end of Luke's story. That's it. Well, and you like, know, if you think back at it, if you think at Star Wars chronologically, you could even kind of say the same thing for Obi-Wan where like the first four movies are kind of Obi-Wan's story. He shows up more, but like, it's, it's very similar. That's true. Yeah, that is true. Uh, what? I mean, yeah, 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 you're right. Like in a way, like if there is like a true hero of those movies, it'd have to be Obi-Wan. And yeah. it, it does. The, the sad thing is, is that it never explains <laughs> why he was like the world's oldest Jedi trainee. <laughs> like he, it's like, what? why is he still, he's like 28 years old. <laughs> well, he's still I, wearing the training wheels. Yeah. I think in Phantom Menace, he's supposed to be quite a bit younger than Ewan McGregor was at the time. If I'm not mistaken, I think he's supposed to be like 19 or something, 19 or 20. Yeah. He, uh, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it doesn't really matter, but it's like that's a story, right? Like, I always wondered, like, I bet the does the novel is the the Master and Apprentice is that the novel the Claudia Gray? I wonder if that I've re- I've listened to some of it. I still need to finish it. Like, I'm so behind on my Star Wars books. I need to because I'm digging it so far, and I like both those quick characters quite a bit. It's just a matter of time and trying to catch up on all my friends' podcasts and you know. Yeah. So we got one email this week, um, and then we'll wrap it up. This is from Laurie. Uh, hey, Halls and Will. Laurie here from London. Longtime listener of this great podcast, but first time writing in. Wanted to expand on your little discussion last week of the heat wave in France. As a French person living in London, I can tell you that air conditioning is just not a thing in some European countries. For example, in London, we're having travel to work in and it's 40 degrees on the underground. That's 104 Fahrenheit for you. As you can imagine, not pleasant at all. No, at not at all. Anyway, enough of that. Let's talk. Oh, buddy. Can you can you speak French, Robbo? Uh, what? I can't see the screen very well. Okay, let me zoom in then because look, I'm I try to hide it. I try to hide my accent and stuff, but I'm a redneck, y'all. I am going to sound like an idiot if I try to pronounce any of this in French. Can you see that better? It says, anyway, uh, enough of that. Let's talk La, la Guerre de Etoile. Okay. Etoile, maybe. That's Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> I grew the War up, of the Stars, yeah. I grew up watching the original trilogy in French and only switched to the English versions later on. That's when I realized the liberties that were taken with some of the translations, especially in A New Hope. 
For example, when Luke and Obi-Wan speak of Anakin, Luke mentions the Black War rather than the Clone Wars. I spent my entire childhood not knowing about the clone element at all and wondering what the Black War was until the prequels and magazines explained that one. Here are a few others. Chewie becomes Chico and Chewbacca is Chictaba. Don't ask me. It's supposed to mean chew tobacco or something like that. Han becomes Yon Solo. Darth Vader becomes Dark Vador to this day. The Death Star is the Black Star. Tashi Station doesn't exist. It's called Kotashi instead. The Millennium Falcon becomes the Millennium Condor. Oh, sweet. C-3PO is Z-6PO. Jabba the Hutt is Jabba the Woodsman. Jabba the Woodsman. Oh, oh yeah. my God. Name of the episode, Jabba the Woodsman. Java the Woodsman. R2-D2 is D2-R2, and my all-time favorite, in the cantina, when Luke is pushed away from the bar by Evazan, he doesn't say, he doesn't like the look of you, and I don't like either. It goes, he says, you've got a shit face. It's true. You've got a shit face. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I wonder who allowed such goofy translations. Do you guys know of any other bad translations of the movie? Or maybe some other moisture farmers have experienced the same growing up? Guys, if you have any experience of this, please write in. I love okay. this. Thank you for again for the podcast. My boyfriend and always and I always look forward to listening to it on Sunday morning. Take care and Robbo, I'm gonna need your help there. Uh, Kayla la force soit avec vous. May the force be with you. Laurie. Thanks for writing in, Laurie. It's nice to hear from you um man that is awesome i love every moment he of says that. you've got a shit face it's true you do it's have, a shit, have face. a shit face <laughs> <laughs> that's so great um, i yeah i mean i'm sure that nobody was really looking into it too hard i mean can you imagine how hard i mean it took him so much effort to just get the movie out on time they were still like compositing effect shots in like yeah. the last month. And I you don't know, it's it's crazy to think about now, you know, like Star Wars movies come out essentially worldwide on the same day and date, you know? Like I remember seeing on like the news when Phantom Menace came out about people from the UK flying to the US to see the Phantom Menace because it came out months earlier here than it did there and stuff, you know? And now it all comes out at the same time, you know, give Mm -hmm. or take some time zone differences and whatnot. But man, uh, yeah, like, so I don't personally know of any translation weirdness, like for Star Wars, like, you know, I know some of the classic sort of video game ones that become memes, you spoonie bard and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, now I don't know how accurate it is. You always see people sharing it on like Facebook and Instagram. And I think it's like maybe the Mandarin translation of Revenge of the Sith. That's either like a bootleg translation. Oh, Backstroke of the West. Is that what you're talking about? Is that what it's called? That's what the bootleg is called. Like it's it's like I think it's the probably the Mandarin Chinese version of Revenge of the Sith that has been retranslated from Mandarin back into English. And it is goofy. Like and it was it, probably done, yeah, it was done like by bootleggers who were like, oh, we, we can put out uh, uh, subtitles on this. Yeah. And just they just did like a like a Battlefish translation. 
So I'm sure the Mandarin does make perfect sense, but when you translate it back, it doesn't, yeah. I, um, I made a little purchase today. Uh-oh. I bought Japanese versions of the original trilogy. Ooh. Because I've been taking Japanese lessons through an app for the past three months. I'm actually That's like crazy. <laughs> 98 days in. And let me tell you, like, when I say I'm taking lessons, like, it takes me 15 minutes a day. I'm not. That's not bad. Actually. I'm not taking, you know, like hardcore lessons. I'm taking it very slow because mine and Jesse's like number one bucket list vacation destination is Japan. And we're going to try to make that happen in the next couple of years. And I'm not expecting to go over there and be fully fluent, but I would like to be able to understand and communicate yeah. at a basic level. Right? Yeah, being able to order food or ask for directions. That's about all I can do. And yeah. it does make a big difference. Uh, it gets me into a lot more trouble probably than mm -hmm. I would it be if I just spoke English. But, um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's a nice gesture and it's there. It's not the kind of country where they like look at you funny cause you didn't pronounce it right. They're like oh. usually pretty happy that you even tried. Cause that's going to be an issue with me because I, as I take it, like as you're doing the lessons, it will speak the words out for you. And honestly, I should probably also be doing like taking notes for like the different characters and stuff, but I don't, um, and my pronunciation is terrible. I sound like a dude that grew up in Mississippi and Alabama trying to speak Japanese. Yeah, well. Um, I did pick up a word. I like. I laughed so hard the other day. Uh, Jacuby. Yeah. That is Japanese for nipple. I did not know that. It is. So the two characters mean first milk. Oh, well, that makes perfect sense, or actually. the first milk. But the, the sounds don't mean that. So I don't know, man. Yeah. I, it's one of those, like, you know, I took Spanish in high school because it was the only uh, language they offered at my high school. And I took Spanish in college as well. And, like, I never was, like, a f had a firm grasp on the language. I took, you know, I did well enough to pass my classes. Mm -hmm. But, dude, like, Japanese is a whole nother ball game the kind of the point I stopped trying to really take, take the language seriously to learn it is when I learned that there's different ways of counting objects, depending on what the like characteristics of the object are. Right. So if it's a vessel that carries liquid, you it's not like this is the first bottle of beer. This is the second bottle of beer. It's like, it's, it's own versions yep. of first and second and third, just for things that are like vessels of liquid. <laughs> and I haven't even gotten that far. Like I can count to 10. Like the basic oh, version yeah, yeah. of counting to 10, you know, and then like I was looking into some more advanced lessons on. And when you get into like double and triple no, uh, digit numbers, like whew, it gets they get pretty long. Yeah, because it's very literal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's something I'm learning is things are very li literal because the app I'm I'm using Duolingo does a really good job of sort of like stepping up your progress. You yeah, know what I mean? And, and it groups a lot of words that sound the same together, like uh, yomu and yoru and things like that. Mm -hmm. Read and wear and night and ea mm -hmm. and ea and all that kind of stuff. And it, I'm finding out it is very literal. Yeah. And it's like and there's also like a lot of weird uh, nuance, like a lot of things you have to fill in the blanks with context. It's kind of like talking to a Wookiee. It's like. You know, he, he says, and you kind of have to know from the context that he's talking about this. 
you know, because everything sounds kind of the same. <laughs> yeah, and that's like when I was watching uh, one of the YouTube lessons I was watching, the guy was explaining like, if you say this exact sentence in this way, like with this inflection and this sort of like tone, it means mm -hmm. something completely different than if you say this right. exact same sentence in this way. Right. Yeah. That's that, that that's my understanding. I, I know very like I'm kind of ashamed of it because, uh, you know, my wife is Japanese. My son speaks it fluently. My in-laws, of course, speak Japanese. They don't really speak English. Um, a lot of times now I'll I'll be going to Japan to drop my son off for the summer. And I have to like, you know, talk to my in-laws for, you know, about, a you know, almost two weeks. <laughs> and I can't right. really use much English. And my son does not want to translate after like he'll he, he I can tell he's just phoning it in. Sometimes I know he's making it up. I do understand enough Japanese. That I know like when he's kind of cutting some corners. <laughs> that's funny, dude. Like your like, son that's... is punk and you're like your in-laws are talking. And you're like, hey, can you help me out this? And he's like, ah, I don't know, man. It's uh, this. Yeah, it's like I understand what they're talking about. I just don't know what they're saying specifically. Like, you know, I just understand what the subject of their question or comment is. But yeah, I, I, at a certain point, I was just like, you know what, like, I'm, I'm not a smart or diligent, hardworking person. Like, I'm lucky I even have a job. Like, I really probably shouldn't um, stress out too much about this language. But it, it is, yeah, I have, I have listened to, or I have watched uh, Star Wars in Japanese, because my uh, father-in-law one time did want to watch it. I don't think he'd ever seen it. Oh, okay. And, but, you know, my son was really into it. And I said, well, if I, maybe I can find it. You can watch the original Star Wars in Japanese. And the thing that I noticed the most about the Japanese version is that the characterizations of the characters had to be translated too, right? So 3PO doesn't sound like a Japanese version of 3PO. It sounds like a different like kind of comedic trope that works in Japanese. So he's yeah. much more like Osaka style, I think, as I recall. That's why like, I'm excited to check it out. And Obi-Wan Kenobi does sound like... Toshiro Mifune type character, like oh. a samurai. Like he doesn't sound like elegant and your father and I were good friends. And, I was, and then I chopped off his legs and kicked him into a lava lake. But he's, it's, it's more like a, your father and I were good friends. I yes, cannot very good. It's like a much wait. more gruff, like, uh, like sounds like a, like a samurai type character. I can't wait. It's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love that stuff. I think that's what makes it special like i think that foreign markets really have something unique that you know uh i didn't realize this existed until i was looking for star wars in japanese uh they have a star wars english to japanese dictionary set and they're they go by cool. like uh it, like the first one's padawan and then master and then or, or knight and then master and dude okay. like what a way for me to study Japanese, but through Star Wars. Let's get on this. Oh, I yeah, gotta get yeah. a hold of those. Um, but one of the coolest things, speaking of Star Wars translations, I feel like this happened, it's definitely happened in between like episode three and this, the buyout, the sell to Disney. Mm -hmm. But they translated Star Wars to one of the Native American languages. I want to say Navajo. Yeah, um, yeah, it's in that that book, uh, How Star Wars Conquered the yeah. Galaxy. Um, yeah, he talks about it. How they, I think, it, yeah, it was it was kind of like a 
a sanctioned fan translation into, yeah, must have been Navajo. I believe it was. And I just always thought that was really cool, too. Like That is such a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> and um, that was, yeah. If you haven't read that book, that's a good book. There's a whole chapter about what it's like for, like, a whole culture that's never seen Star Wars to be exposed to it in yes. their own language. Yeah, it's it's really cool. <clears throat> and um, on the subject of bad translations, this is another instance of not a professional translation this is a bootleg translation but there's that famous uh line of bootleg phantom menace figures where like darth maul is labeled as dennis (laughs) and like the emperor is just old man or whatever it is you know like dennis is the best dennis is the best (laughs) i always went like i'd love to see like a like i'd love to see like, look, you got Disney Plus, you got our money, no matter what, like put out like a uh, like a one shot type cartoon. That's like it's just like the Turkish Star Wars toy. Oh, the Uze bootleg. Yeah. Yeah. And like the bootleg uh, Phantom Menace toys. Just like make it make try to try to tell like what you think their version of the story would be oh. just from those characters. I would love that. <laughs> I, I would love that, too. I would be. But that's like. You know, they're doing the Marvel What If series now. You know, like, do that. Just like, yeah. what if Star Turkish Wars. bootleg Star Wars was the real Star Wars? Star Wars Infinities animated. But get so weird cool. with it. That was a, This is a great question, by the way. I yeah. love this. I love this question. And I'm telling you, I will always think he's, he says, you've got a shit face. It's true. You've got a shit face. Got a shit face. Yes. Like, you could picture somebody really delivering that line very well, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's... Well, buddy, uh, I think that's going to do it for this. Uh, yeah. Thanks for uh, filling in for Will and coming on. I had a blast. Uh, my pleasure. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And, he, you know, uh, it's uh, it's such a great show. And it's great, it's great to have a, a first-time uh, writer. In, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was just in France uh, uh, a couple of months ago and before it got in, impossible to live in there because it's so hot. And uh, what a what a lovely country and what uh, what lovely people. They're, yeah, they're, I, is really a great place. I once again, another one of those places that Jesse and I are dying to go. We're going to try, you know, with uh, celebration sort of probably taking a break after next year. Uh, you know, until the Star Wars machine gets up and moving, like we're gonna mm-hmm. try and knock out at least one of our big travel destinations, probably Japan. Yeah, um, yeah. we also want to do Australia. Her sister and uh, brother-in-law really want to do that too, so we make make it like a family thing. So, cool idea. It's, yeah, it's one of those things. Like I would love to do. It's just we have a giant Star Wars trip where all our friends go every year. So that normally ends up taking up our travel time for the most part. Mm. So I think we'll take the opportunity for the years that there's not a celebration to maybe try and knock some of those destinations off if we can. And I'm really looking forward to it. I The the only issue now is trying to make sure we have enough time in Japan because there's so many different things we yeah, both want to try you, to do. You kind of just got to pick like a region and just, mm-hmm. deal, just stick with that. And yeah. you will not be disappointed. You know, yeah. There's plenty to see. Well, guys, uh, if you like our theme song, please be sure to check out the band that was kind enough to provide the music. They're Stoned Cobra. You can find them on iTunes, Spotify, and at stonedcobra.bandcamp.com. Go check out Robbo on the HG101 podcast. Uh, 
that's the easiest way to search it. I found in your podcast uh, podcatchers or whatever. Yeah, we're on Spotify now too. So yeah, like, yeah. <clears throat> um, so yeah, check him out. Uh, leave us a five star review. Check out Robbo on uh, Steel's Patreon if you haven't already. It's a good time. Sometimes though, man, I hear some. This one time, y'all, you guys got into it. And I was like, I'm listening to the end of a friendship. It made me so sad. But by the end of the show, everything was fine. But I was like, damn, this is getting deep. They are talking serious copyright law right now. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was an interesting one. But anyways, guys, we will catch you next week. And until then, this has been Blue Harvest, and I'm Hauls Burkhart. And I'm not Will Witten. <laughs> May the force be with you. May the force be with us. <laughs>